everybody. Welcome to All Have Another with Lindsay Hine Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 100, and I am not the interviewer today. Maggie Dials is, and we're sitting in her house right now. Hello, everyone. This is kind of nerve-wracking. Since you're very good at this, I'm a little nervous that I have to like keep up the pressure. Well, I've been doing it for a long time. This is true. And you were... Meggie was on the podcast, episode, what do you think, uh, in the 50s? 50s. I think you said 56 or something like that at one point. So yeah, I was still a rookie then when I interviewed you. Oh, you didn't seem like it. I felt like it. I remember when I got off, I texted you and I was like, that was so much fun. Uh Uh-huh. And somebody needs to interview you. Yes. And isn't that funny that now we're doing that? You did that. You did say that. Um, I've actually had a couple of guests after their interview, asked me if I was going to do this. Yeah. So I thought, I okay, this is pretty narcissistic, though. I was like, okay, for my 100th episode, I'll have someone interview me. How? I don't think so at all. I mean, the reality is people want to know who Oprah was, and she was never, like, the guest on her own show, you That's know? That's true. Has so, Oprah ever, well, has Oprah ever been interviewed? Oh, on, I'm sure. Who? Who's interviewed her? Oh, I guess I don't know. I yeah. said I'm sure, but I don't know. She's a little dated. I mean, as much as yeah. she's still relevant as of, like, three days ago. Yeah. Prior to that. She's been off the radar for a while. But you and I are both big Oprah fans because we both listen to Super Soul. Yes. Love her. So if you don't, um, if you didn't listen to Meggie's episode, you have to go back and listen. Um, But also, Meggie was on the live show panel. Yeah, that was so much fun. You were like kind of the rock star. (laughs) I don't know about that, but it was really fun. It was really fun. Yeah, I was pregnant and sassy and I had run that half marathon and I cried like half the time. So I had, I felt like I had like a chip on my shoulder, but it was fun. (laughs) I'm still pregnant and maybe still a little sassy, but. Yes, definitely still sassy. And you guys can listen to that live show episode. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, It It is on Patreon. Yeah. It goes fast. Yeah. Um, Okay, so Maggie, before we get started, we have to thank one of our sponsors for the episode, and that is Kind Snacks. Um, do you do you ever eat Kind Bars? I have, yeah. They're great. Yeah, I love Kind Bars. Um, we get the subscription service still. They come to our door. We get, I think we get 30 bars. We get two boxes. But Kind Snacks are made in the United States. They are made with ingredients you can recognize and pronounce. What I love about Kind Snacks is that they were founded as a not-only-for-profit company, and I love that. So you guys can try 10 Kind Bars for free. All you have to do is pay shipping when you order their sample box. You'll also get to try the Kind Snacks Club, where you'll receive monthly snacks at a discount and get members-only bonuses. So I'm a member, and I get the monthly uh, snacks sent to my front door, which is always super convenient. I was actually just telling Meggie about this, that the box usually comes when I'm like low on groceries or something, and I always grab a kind snack when I'm heading out for something like this, where I know I'm going to be on the go all day. So just go to kindsnacks.com slash Lindsay. That's kindsnacks.com slash Lindsay to get your free sample box. All you have to do is pay shipping. Okay. That wraps up the intro sponsor spot. I like it. You did a great job with that. Um, Maggie, have you left a rating and review on the show? I have. I did it a long time ago. I was actually thinking about that. Does it help if we do multiple ones? Or I don't you think looking? you can. Okay. So you want unique users, not one person that leaves like your mom leaves well, like 20 or something. I don't know if you can, can even act- do that. Yeah, I don't okay. cuz like once you've left a review on your iTunes account, got it. That's what gets me because for a long time I would try to leave reviews on shows and I would be like I don't remember what my iTunes password is, but it's usually right. just like your Apple password yes. or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um you could 
have Josh log on and leave a review. I could. Just make him listen to your episode. That's a good point. I will. So he that, can talk about how wonderful we are. Yeah. Like, I'll write it for him. And then it's actually real because he did listen to your episode. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And he should. Yeah. So I say it every week and I just feel like it's something I have to do because it does um, it does help new listeners find the show. And so and it's just it really does take like two seconds, especially with the new update on the iPhones. Good. I'm glad it's easier. And I want everybody listening to know that I leave reviews on my favorite shows as well. <laughs> I will be honest, I've only ever done it on yours, but I should probably leave more. I mean, I know one of your other favorite shows is Oprah Super Soul, and Oprah probably doesn't need your review, but... <laughs> she probably doesn't. It's funny, actually, though, because I looked at her reviews yesterday just to, like, yeah. see, um, just because I like to see what's going on with other shows, and it is true when you're, like, a well-known figure... You get you. I mean, she has a ton of five stars. She has a healthy amount of like one star, and they're just like Oprah haters. You know oh, what right, I mean? Right. Just trolls at that point. Yeah, right. because I get sad when I see like a one star review. Um, but uh, I think someone tweeted this to me. When you have people, when you only have like five star reviews, or when you only have people that are like your biggest cheerleaders, that's kind of saying maybe you're a little bit boring. Like you don't say, oh, yeah. you don't do anything or say anything that's polarizing right. ever. Right. So polarizing I, is a good word. Yeah. So I'm gonna yeah. just like own those one star reviews. Well, and I mean the reality is you have to have a backbone to do mm-hmm. any of this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you guys have talked on a lot to a lot of people about what is that? Get off the internet or yes, whatever that get is. Get off my internet. And I remember when I had a blog, which I don't anymore, and it would be heartbreaking when people would say mean things because really, what's the point? I but. Know. It's out there, right? Yeah. So if you're going to do this, you you know you have to be ready for a couple one stars. You know it has nothing to do with who you really are. It's just probably trolls. I'm going to try really hard to not take over this interview because you're interviewing <laughs> me. But really quick, um, that's how we know each other. Yes. Basically, like... Oh, yeah. Our running and my blog, probably, yeah. and your blog and social Twitter. media. I remember I would see you running on the Monon. Yes. And we would say hi to each other, but yep. it was sort of like a, I know you, but do we really know each uh-huh. other type of thing? Yeah. And then obviously that's changed a lot in the past, like, six months. And then you would really run, fun. yeah, you would run with, like, your perfect strangers. Yes. She had a group of friends. They called each other the perfect strangers, and they would run together. We did. And, and now, like, none of them run anymore. Yeah. A lot of There's a couple. There's a couple that are still holding down the fort. Yeah. I, I can't say that I'm one of the most consistent, but yes, you're exactly right. That is how we know each other. Yeah. It's really fun. So where do you want to start? I don't know. Okay, well, I have literally five pages. Of well, questions. I know. Maggie sent me an email <laughs> of like, she said, I'm going to send you all these questions. I'm going to send you just like all my brainstorming questions. And I read through it and I'm like, yep, that's way better research than I've ever done for any of my guests. Well, and the reality is it wasn't research. It's just yeah. like my own curiosity. Um, but we'll hopefully get through a lot of it because I think there's a whole lot of topics that we can talk through. So I think we should start, let's start with the podcast. Okay. Because I think the rest of the questions are more personal. Yeah. Um, so we talk a lot about, you've talked a lot about why you started the podcast. But what has been the most surprising thing about doing this? And you've been doing it for how long? So I started April 2016. Um, I think the most surprising thing is how much I enjoy having the conversations. Yeah. Because at first when I started it, um, I would get nervous for interviews. And you can probably tell when you listen back Sure. Interviews. Like, you know, you jumped in and started listening right around the time we recorded your episode. Yeah, I went back into the archives. Yes. And it's funny when you listen to them in such a short amount of time like Uh I did because I have noticed a massive evolution Uh of just your style, your comfort level, and just things that I think are obvious to me when I've listened to them in such a short time frame – 
of what you've tweaked. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, because at the beginning, especially, so I think Sarah Hall was my first, like, professional runner I booked. And I remember thinking, okay, I need to make sure I have enough questions to ask to get to the hour. And now (laughs) I'm like, I want to, like, make sure I try to wrap it up by we. The time we get to an hour. Right. Because I think I've learned how to listen to the answers better and, like, go off that rather than, okay, I have to get to these questions. Yeah. Well, two things on that. So, one, in the beginning, you would cut conversations off, Mm -hmm. it felt like, at an hour. It's like, we're at an hour, we have to stop. Whereas I think now, it's a really good conversation. You kind of let it flow. And maybe you edit, I don't know, do you edit to try to get it to that? Or if it's a really good conversation, do you say, this is going to be a 70-minute podcast or whatever? Sometimes. Like, one, for instance, would be uh, Jessica Hoffheimer. She, Pace of Me, people might know her on the internet as that. Um, she, I recorded with her sometime over the summer. I knew before I recorded with her that I would, A, have to do, like, no research because I knew her pretty yeah. well. But, B, that our conversation would last a really long time because right. I knew we'd have so much to talk about. Um, so we recorded for like I think it was two hours, and I I tried to cut hers down to like one forty. Yeah. Um, because I I think that once you get past an hour and a half, maybe they do get a little bit long. Um, but it's that's just like another example of maybe if I would have interviewed Jessica a year earlier, like sure. August two thousand sixteen. There's no way I would have let it happen. Yeah. I mean, as a listener, and I listen to them when I run. I get really frustrated when I like pull up my app and I've already listened to them Yeah, because I'm like, what am I going to do when I'm going to run right now? So I like the longer ones because yeah. it means that they can span multiple runs, runs or it's like I'm driving up to my mom's and Fisher's. I can listen to the rest of it. So yeah. it's a good conversation. I don't ever feel like it, you know, drags on. I think what would be really hard to your point is listening and responding and keeping the conversation flowing without being like, I've got my next question. I'm more concerned about what I'm going to say next versus what they're saying in the moment. Do you struggle with that or is it pretty natural? Yes, sometimes that can be hard because sometimes uh, guests will go off on tangents. And for instance, there was one guest where it wasn't that I wanted our conversation to only be an hour, but I only had an hour. Like I had to go pick up Marshall from school. And I wanted to get to so much more, but we just didn't have time. And I literally had to wrap it up at the end. Um, There were probably like five or six career-related questions Mm -hmm. that I wanted to ask, and we didn't even get into her career because... You just didn't have the time. Yeah, it was actually Jenna, um, a recent one, Jenna Water... What was her last name? Powers. Jenna Powers. Oh, yeah, I listened to that one. Yeah, she's like a... She works for Amazon, and she's actually like really involved in the acquisition of Whole Foods for Amazon. fascinating. Yeah, and I really wanted to like get into that, and what her job was, but she's also done hundred mile races, and like right. she has all this other experience, these other experiences, and so I always get a little bit sad when I run out of time and I can't get to everything I wanted to get to. So speaking of that, when you know somebody has a great story, meaning they've run crazy amounts of races or they've done hundred milers or whatever, and you get into a conversation and they're just maybe not an extrovert, so yeah. they're uh, it's you're pulling teeth to get mm-hmm. them to really open up. Do you notice it right away, and then how how do you handle it? Yeah, so usually at the beginning of the interview, the first five minutes, no matter who it is, is a little bit rocky because we're feeling each other out. Um, And then usually within five minutes, I'm like, okay, this is going to be hard, or this is going to be really easy. Yeah. Um, I just try to, like, be uppity and excited and try to get them in that mood, too. But some people just aren't like that. Right. I actually interviewed somebody to hire for my team recently at my boring day job, and 
it was very similar. I would ask questions and she would give one answer and then it was just such an interview without, yes. and in the end we didn't hire her. And when she asked why I said, you know, in my job, you have to be able to build rapport. There has to be a chemistry. And the fact that you weren't able to do that with someone that you're interviewing with mm-hmm. makes me concerned that you're not going to be able to do that with a prospective customer. And since we're all in sales and so that's kind of similar, right? Yeah. I mean, you need to be able to have that conversational skill, yeah. maybe not in this world, but, um, you know, when people do and when they don't. And I, I, as a listener, I have heard some of those interviews on yours. Yes. I think you do a great job with it, but sometimes I think, oh, poor girl. You can tell. This one's going to be tough, you know? <laughs> I know. Well, I know because that's the thing is when you ask a question, so I have, well, I will have a certain question, and for some people, I'll know this question is going to take 15 minutes. Right. Because then they're going to answer it, and then they're going to tell a story about it, yep. and then I'm going to ask a follow-up question. But some people just answer it, and it's like, okay, what's next? <laughs> Right, right. And that's really hard. And so those transitions can be difficult sometimes. And then conversely, you probably have people that ramble. Yes. And maybe not in an interesting way. And you want to get in. Like you want to like sneak in and be like, okay, let's let's go here. Yeah. And so sometimes I do do that. Like when I'm just done with that part of the conversation, um, I have to remind myself because, you know, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like I went to school for nutrition, like... Looking back, it's so funny because I oftentimes think, this is what I'm passionate about. Why didn't I go to school for this? Right. Well, who knows when you're 18 years old, right? right? I know. I would have never thought that. Yeah. Like, public speaking in college was my worst nightmare. (laughs) Now look at you. I know. Like, it was my worst nightmare. I remember just, like, I think I took a shot of vodka or something, (laughs) like, the day I had to give up and, like, give my speech because I was like, I just can't do it. Yeah. Take the um, edge off. Yeah. Although vodka. Ooh. I know. I'm sure it was like... It's youngins. I'm, well, I'm sure it was like flavored oh, Of course. Schmirnoff um, raspberry. Right. <laughs> right. What was I going to say about that, though? I was going to say... Um, we were talking about your degree and, you know, just being able... If, if you know that you want to go a certain direction, yeah. that you have to remind yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think that I've learned that... I can just transition mm-hmm. and I don't have to always follow up with a comment on what they're saying. Yes. You know, on that topic, I can just say, all right, well, I want to talk about this yeah. and just move and on. And just roll right into it. Yeah. I mean, the reality is this is your show and so you know what works and what doesn't. And so yeah. I think as a guest, hopefully everybody sort of understands that yeah. if you're moving us in a direction, it's because you know that's what needs to happen make sure and what we that get works. To that. And You've done this now a hundred times yeah. versus yeah, us who times now. are doing it probably once. But I thought that – it's funny you say that about the journalism thing because that was one of my questions. I was thinking about that when you interviewed Des. Mm. I mean, to me, De- I said to Josh, my husband, I was like, Lindsay has Des on her. In, I mean, exciting. like podcast. I mean, yeah. you've gotten some really big names. You've got people like me who are just like, you know, your friendly neighbor. But then you also have people that have incredible stories and are quite famous in the running world and you don't have a journalism degree. And so do you get nervous about that? Do you I mean, your comfort level seems really really good, but I'm just really impressed with the fact that you figured this out. Yeah, I was nervous at the beginning and now I don't really get nervous about those interviews as long as long as I do my research too. Like I've gotten a lot better about understanding how to research the guests too. And I think um at the beginning, I think one of my earliest reviews someone said um I should research my guests better. And I took that to heart, and I think I knew at the time I didn't know enough, mm-hmm. but I didn't necessarily know how to research them sure. for what the kinds of questions to ask. 
Um, so yeah, now I feel a lot more comfortable. And the other thing is, is there's a lot of podcasts popping up everywhere now. So like, and especially in the running world too, like there's more and more popping up. So I think that all these high profile athletes like Des are going to, you know, going to be asked to be on a lot of shows. Right. You know, like that Allie Kiefer interview. I wanted to grab her like immediately. And you did. Yeah. I was like, as soon as New York was done, like the next day, my good friend Mary connected me with someone who knew her and I was like... I'm not waiting until Friday to get this episode out. Like, no. I'm I'm turning this around the second right. I interview her because I knew she was going to be on everybody's show. Yes. And I wanted to be, like, I wanted to get it out first. And she just wrote that blog post, oh, which yeah. I loved, which was, like, my weight has nothing to do with, which you have to sort of counter because she's still a very small person. Yeah. <laughs> but in the very elite running world, yeah. you know, comparatively to some people that are just skin and bones, yeah. you know, the fact that she wrote about her weight and how it doesn't affect her, I thought that was just fantastic. And I think we yeah. can all take some heart to that. She has a really healthy outlook on that. And I'm sure it would be hard to be in the world of everybody weighs 100 pounds. And, right. you know, obviously, like, she's still super fit. She has a six-pack. I mean, you can't not be when you run 100 miles a week. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I loved that article. Yeah. And what I liked about that, I know we're kind of segueing, is that, I've run races before, and I've fluctuated in weight, you know, 30 pounds plus and minus in different directions, but I've run before, and I find myself looking at people and Mm. seeing someone and say, wow, I'm so impressed with that person, and I hate that I even notice it. So it it was a good check for me, who is super weight conscious, the fact that I even have my own little biases, and so I love that she wrote that. Um, And we'd be lying to say that we didn't. Like, I, so... Say so. I just at Monumental when I ran my three eleven. Yeah. Like if I saw someone run by me that's like heavier or whatever, I'm like, well, if they can run that fast, why can't I? Right. You know, like it's not that you're judging that person. You're just thinking, okay, like mm-hmm. you you compare yourself. You just do. Absolutely. What's well, interesting? I I'm also involved in CrossFit, which I know you said your mm-hmm. sister does a lot of as oh, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are some incredible CrossFit athletes that don't have super defined muscles. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's bodies that just have better definition mm-hmm. or I guess more defined muscles than others. It doesn't mean that it really implies anything about their strength. Yeah. So it's good for us all to like think through that and realize that somebody who's a certain weight or not doesn't imply their speed, their fitness levels, their training, all of that. Um, so speaking of some of the people that you've talked to, you've, you've talked to some people that have some really personal situations. Yeah. Um, was it Sam, the one Samantha that... Smith. God, that was such a crazy episode. I was just, like, captivated by that. I mean, was that really difficult? And you may want to talk a little bit about who she is in case people haven't heard of her story. But was that a really tough topic to talk about? And how do you you broach those personal subjects? Yeah, so Samantha Smith was – she was somewhere around your episode. Yeah, she wasn't too far behind. Yeah. um, Her husband passed away about two years ago, Andrew Smith, of leukemia. Uh, I think it was leukemia. Yes, he played basketball for Butler, so they're very young. I mean, I think he was 24, 25 yeah, very, when he passed very away. And I knew I, I met her after the mini marathon here in Indianapolis. Lara Overton, who's also been on the show, uh, introduced us. And she said, oh, Sam would be a great guest on your show. So we scheduled it out, and I was really nervous because I've lost grandparents, um, but I, I've never lost someone that that close. I mean, well, unless you've lost your husband, you've never lost someone that close. Right. You know, like you can lose a parent, you can lose a sibling, but I feel like your spouse, that's like your person you're doing life with. Right. Every day. That is or your... Or you, you thought you were. Yeah. Right? I mean, Glenn and I have talked about this a lot because um, with the loss of his mom, I mean, with his dad, he's like, 
we we've sat on the couch so many times and talked about like my dad lost like his person my you you know and it's so when I went into that conversation like it's so hard to interview someone where you don't know you don't know where they're coming from like I don't know what her heart feels like and um but at the same time when I was driving to that interview I remember I was on 70 she lives on the east side driving thinking I am like living out my dream like I'm so excited that I get to sit at the at the kitchen table with this woman who is so amazing, so mm-hmm. courageous, so brave, and ask her about her life. Right. Um, that's, that's a yeah. great way to approach it. Yeah. And it, you know, you didn't. It wasn't awkward. It was super personal. And um, I, my friends always make fun of me because they think I ask too many personal questions. So I sometimes feel like I don't edit myself yeah. enough. But I also think having lost my own dad, which we talk about in the podcast there's also an element of appreciation when people do ask because yeah. they're they're not afraid about how awkward it makes them feel. They're yeah. more concerned about what what does the other person need right now. And it always feels like you do a good job with that. Well, and I have to say, I think that it's helped my, like, normal personal skills because I'm a talker. And, like, if people ask me questions, I'll, like you're doing today, like, I'll talk, 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 talk. But I think this podcast has increased my interest in learning about other people sure and so but then sometimes I'll be like in a social setting and I'll think okay Lindsay like you're in interview mode (laughs) calm down on the questions like but because I really am interested absolutely in people and I was listening to a podcast the other day and now I can't remember uh what it was but uh somebody was saying like People feel so good when you ask them questions. Yes. People like to, to talk share. about themselves. Yeah, and talk about themselves. Right. And not necessarily in a narcissistic way, but just because it feels good to share your life with people. Right. Uh, so, but yeah, sometimes I'm like, okay, Lindsay, calm down. Um, you're at a bar and you know, <laughs> like, like, this isn't full interview mode. Yeah. But I do think, and I think I told you this a uh, long time ago, I think you do a great job with interjecting some personal quips mm-hmm. about yourself, but not making it about you. One of my favorite podcasts is Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin because he interviews oh. really good, famous people. Yes. Um, and and so more it's about the people he's interviewing because he gets great access and he's funny, but it does feel really egotistical because it's like mm. he always brings it back to his own story. Yeah. And so I, after listening to his and then listening to yours, I think you do a good job of Still making it personal, making it conversational, but it's not all about you. It really is about the guest. Well, and that's an interesting point you bring up because um, if I am struggling with an interview, uh, maybe I end up talking about myself more because I'm like, I need to fill some time. Sure. Well, and make it engaging. Yeah. <laughs> right? So right. you got to still make this interesting to other people. Um, so some quick questions. When you're thinking about your guests in the past, all 99 of them, who has been the most inspirational? Oh, I should have I, I thought knew, through this before. Yes, I know, because I did see your I obviously read your email. Um the most or can be some of the most inspirational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it depends on uh what we're talking about because you know, one in the running world would be Teal Burrell. I don't know yes. if you listened to her. Yes, she was on the cover of uh the running magazine too, wasn't she? Um no. I don't know. She I'm bad with names. I'm remembering stories versus names very well. You'll remember her um, when I explain it. She well, when when I did her interview, she was like nine months pregnant. Like I think she was due like the next week. But she 
Um, she ran an Olympic trials qualifying time, and but her first marathon she ever ran was like four hours. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she ran that, and then the first time she actually like really trained for one, she ran like a three thirty. It's crazy, and she really like slowly chipped away to the two forty one. Yeah, I'm like, thinking of somebody completely. different. Yeah. yes. And she had what I loved about Teal was how she explained everything, and she had like obstacles. I mean, she would PR, and then she wouldn't. But she wouldn't think, okay, that was, like, my best day. You know, like, yeah. I ran a 250, but then I ran a 257. That 250 was my best day. That's all I had. Yeah. Um, and just the way she believed in herself and her training to get there, she was really inspiring to That's me. That's awesome. I yeah. do remember her. Who has been the most fun? Oh, the most fun. Well, Des was really fun. Yeah. And she's that, a good conversationalist. Yeah, she was good. And that Well, and that's the thing about when you book uh, a professional or, like, an elite athlete – I think that sometimes they are programmed to have, like, canned answers mm-hmm. because they've done so many interviews. And so when I reach out to people, I always make sure to say, like, this is a conversation. Right. So, like, sometimes I jump in with my stories. Um, I'm interviewing you. Like, it's mostly about you. But, like, I try to get them to really understand that it's not yeah. just an interview. Right. Like, we're supposed to sound like friends. And it has to be easier for them than if it was somebody from ESPN. Or, you know, for yeah. them, they have to think, this is fun. Yeah. Like, there's no pressure. I don't have to worry exactly about what I'm saying. Um, it came across really casual, which was nice. Yeah, Krista Duchesne, she was the Canadian marathon mom that mm-hmm. I interviewed. She's uh, got three kids, and she's run like a, I think her PR is 227 or something like that. But after the interview, she emailed me. She's like, I've never had an interview like that. That was just, you know, it was so fun. Yeah. But I'm trying to think, oh, I'm interviewing Colleen Quigley coming up soon, and I'm excited about that. She's a steeplechaser. Oh, um, I like the steeplechasers. For episode 50, I interviewed her, Shelby Houlihan, and yes. Courtney Freyricks. And she's very chatty and fun, and I love interviewing those Bowerman yes. track club girls. Yeah, they were really fun. Yeah. They seemed so young. But any of the, like, blog people, I hate the word blogging, but any of those girls in the blogging world, yeah. um, they're really fun to interview, too. Who have you gotten the best feedback on? Like, people say, oh my gosh, I love this episode. Uh, well, Des, for sure. Yeah. And Dina Castor. Oh, for sure. Um, but Dina, yeah. like, put you on the map, it felt like. Dina was amazing. Yeah. She was such a fun interview. And I felt like I could jump in with my own right. stuff, too. You know who I loved, um, which is is Pete the Planner. Which, oh, Pete, yes. And it's funny because if you don't live in Indy, maybe you don't know Pete. I know him personally, so that's probably why. But because he is such a good personality... And he has his own podcast and his own yep. media. He, Your guys' conversation was just funny. I loved Pete's interview. I actually, we we had a, uh, we had to keep it to like 50 minutes because we had things to do. Um, but that, I could have talked to him for two hours. Oh, easily. And I wanted it to be longer. Like when we figured out that we only had a certain amount of time, I was like, man, I wish this could be longer. And because I, I knew I had to wrap it up and I like didn't want to right. at all. Uh, it's funny though, because if you look at my downloads, uh, his episode is one of my lower downloaded episodes because he's not, he's not a female runner. Right. But man, you guys, if you haven't listened to Pete the Planner, go back and listen to Pete the Planner. He's um, he's in the 40s, 50s. I don't know. I think everybody's in the 40s or 50s. Oh, like age-wise? Episode. Oh, I was like, no, he's actually 40. No. I, <laughs> um, yeah, got it. No, you're no, right. Pete, 40s if you're 50s, listening, yeah. I know you're not in your 50s. <laughs> but I mean, Fair. his episode number. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. But yeah, like... I think that makes me sad sometimes, too, when those episodes don't get as many downloads because the loyal listeners, like the people like mm-hmm. you who listen every week, uh, they don't miss right. an episode. Right. But then, then there's the listeners that listen because of who the people are. Right. Absolutely. And then they miss out. I mean, I, 
obviously some interviews aren't as good as others. Like sure. some of them are just not as interesting as others. I get that. I mean, I feel the same way with other podcasts I listen to, but I feel like when you just pick the select person, you miss on some really good stuff. Yeah. That you wouldn't know about. Yeah. And Pete's a really good example. Absolutely. And anybody who did listen, I got really good feedback. Like, Oh, he was so funny. He really is. I, what I like about a lot of the running ones is it's really because I listen while I'm running. It's so inspiring mm. because so many people work really hard and you know, there's so many times where I'm running a four miler and yeah. I want to stop it too. And I'm listening to these people that are like, I run 70 miles a week. I'm like, I can run two more miles. Yeah. Right. Um, so I do think there's some really inspiring ones, people that I wouldn't necessarily know their household name, yeah. but they're doing really cool stuff. Well, another one, uh, that was really inspiring is Mary Catherine Ham. Again, bad with names. Remind me her so story. So she's, a she's a media news person. She's conservative. Yeah, And I was nervous about that one because I was like, is this going to be, I'm going to use the word again, but is this going to be polarizing because yes. she's on this side of oh, the I remember political her. spectrum. But her husband uh, died in That's a right. bike accident. He was riding a charity bike ride. but And she's a runner. Like, she's run several marathons. Yeah. But that wasn't the point of our conversation and right. we didn't touch on it much. But I feel like an episode like that didn't get as many downloads either or as an as much attention or love because it was a name people weren't ex- right. necessarily excited but about. But yet in her world, she's pretty famous. She's really famous. Yeah, she's a big deal. It's just maybe not in the running community. Yes. Right. Like, I actually, um, the only reason I was able to get an interview with her is because my sister has worked in politics for years. Yeah. And she knew her when she lived in D.C. So she connected me with Mary Catherine Ham. That's an airplane, right? I don't know what that was. <laughs> been somebody dragging a trash can through yeah. our alley who knows um i remember her she was one of the ones that i went back and listened to archive wise and yeah. i thought she was fascinating yeah she's one of those people that um she has a certain type of i mean you kind of have this personality too i think um very just very strong woman like she is sure and i'm not saying i'm not a strong woman i think i'm strong i know i'm strong um but in the terms of when she lost her husband, I mean, she... she her outlook was, cr- like, incredible. Yeah, like, she was like, I have to just keep doing... I have yeah. to do, like, she had an 18-month-old baby, and she was seven months pregnant. Yeah. And she had to make a decision, like, right. I have to keep going for my girls. And, I mean, she was on TV, like, mm-hmm. talking about this within a week. Yeah. I remember she talked a lot about just, it, we're going to laugh more than cry. Yeah. And she had some quote, and I wish I could... Uh, pull it up right now, but I, I remember texting it to my mom and my sister in law because we text all day long. And I was like, guys, this is huge. Yeah. I mean, she, that's what I love is like the little things mm-hmm. that I pull from the podcast and different individuals. Is um, one of the other ones was I think the woman who does the Jacksonville races. Oh, Donna Deegan. And that's she one said, of my favorite episodes ever. Everybody's going to die, but what are you going to do about living? Yes. And I sent that to my mom and I said, I just think this is something we should all wake up and think yes. about. Yes. Right. And it's just incredible. It was such an easy thing to think about, but especially depending on if you're going through loss or mourning or you're you're lacking purpose, like that to me is just one little statement that can really change your life. That episode, I knew I was going to love that episode. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that the interview would be easy because she uh, worked in TV for years. She's a firecracker. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that she would have good energy. And um, when she said that, like that her therapist said to her, because she was was, uh, on her... second or third bout with breast cancer and she told her therapist like she said what what's wrong she's like I'm scared I'm gonna die and I think that's pretty significant and the therapist said well we're all gonna die what are you gonna do about living and it's like you know 
I'm not saying we have to wake up every morning and feel like that because we wake up in the morning and we're like, Ugh, sometimes. Right, like, right. that's reality. Um, I'm not a big morning person, so, like, the first 45 minutes of the day. You know, I think some people wake up and they're like, let's conquer the yeah. day. Yeah. And I I need, like, a little bit of time. Um, but, yeah, when she said that, that was really that was really big to me. And I, and I, you know, I've dealt with this fear of death thing forever. I think we all... I think, you know what? I was just listening to Shannon Brassavin on yes. the Drink Culture podcast. And that she was talking about this. She's like, mm-hmm. we're all going to die. Right. Like, that's going to happen. Um, like, we can't obsess over it, though. You know? Do you... It, this is interesting to me because I never was afraid of dying until I had a kid. Mm. And now my mortality matters in a more unselfish way. It's yeah. my daughter needs me. Um your fear of dying, and obviously we're going to get to talking a little bit about where some of that comes from, but did that change at all when you became a mom? Yeah, I mean, I think that I've always been uh, way more aware and aware and fearful of my mortality from a young age. You know, I think that like a mm-hmm. lot of people say, oh, kids think they're, you know, like invincible. Indestructible, right. Yeah, like a 16-year-old, like drive really fast, but I've always had that like fear instilled in me and I, I remember, like, being 15 and, like, getting headaches and being like, I have a brain tumor. <laughs> you know? And, like, so there wasn't a, a major death in your life that caused it. No. You just have always been a little more cautious. Yeah. I mean, I've always had this fear thing. Like, even, which is interesting now looking back, now that I'm a mom, like, I would, at bedtime, like, when I was, like, 12, I would, like, get into bed with my sisters because I was scared. My <laughs> little sister would, like, lock me out of her room because she, like, didn't want me in there. My little sister. <laughs> right. You know, so I've always had this, like, I've always been afraid to fly. Yeah. Like, I remember in second grade, second grade, I was going to Florida with my mom. Uh, my sisters and I were going. My dad didn't go. He took us to the airport. And I remember thinking, I want to stay home with dad because I'm, like, afraid this airplane It's not going to work. Right. Yeah. I'm like, what second? I feel like a second grader doesn't really think like that. No. You know? No. Definitely so, not. So, yeah, this is just, I don't know. It's like my genetic makeup or something. Right. So let's just segue right into that. So talk about your the the BRCA gene, why you got tested. I mean, you've brought it up a couple times, yeah. although you waited a long time to talk about it on your podcast. And being in Indianapolis and knowing you, I knew about it prior yeah. to that. Um, but why did you get tested and how scary was that given the fact that you are a little – you have a propensity for fear on yeah. this. So – yeah, I, I didn't bring this up on the podcast for a while because, well, so anybody that followed me on social media before the podcast knew this about me, that I have the BRCA2 gene mutation, and I elected to have a prophylactic double And what does that mean? What does the BRCA2 gene mutation mean? So um, it puts you at an increased risk of breast and ovarian cancer. Okay. So then, yeah, so in 2013, I elected to have a prophylactic double mastectomy. So I didn't bring it up for a long time because... I think I wanted the people that found me through the podcast to not, like, define my podcast around Mm -hmm. that story That story so much. Um, And that story kind of blew up when I was on the cover of Women's Running Magazine in 2014, I think it was. So I I did finally open up about it. I think with the Naomi Peskovitz interview. She has it too, right? She has BRCA1. Okay. So that story, though, is um, my grandma had breast cancer when she was 48. Super young. Yeah. And I was, I think I was six. Uh, my parents were like babies when they had us, and my grandparents were babies when they had my parents. So I have a young you family. You have a young family. Yeah. So, you know, I was six when that happened, and she 
and it, I mean, it was really bad. They caught it stage four. Oh, no. I mean, it was not likely that she was going to survive. And she, this was in the 90s, and she was super Christian, like, all into, uh, like, the Kenneth Copeland, uh, you know, yeah. like, TV stuff. And she, this is what my grandma did. She hopped on an airplane and went to some, like, healing camp in Texas. It didn't work. <laughs> I was like, and? Yeah, no. Are it, we all headed to Texas? Yeah, I didn't learn about this until I was in college, actually. Probably and, smart. Your parents did not tell you yeah. that story. Because they'd be like, don't worry about your plane crashes. Just go to Texas. Yeah, so she um, so she did that. And she she t- tells me this. Um, I would call my grandma when once I moved up to Indianapolis. Uh, when I would visit Bloomington, we would I would call her on driving home to Indy. Mm-hmm. And I got to know my grandma a lot better as an adult that way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she told me this so story. So she survived. She did. Okay. I mean, Punchline is she survived the breast cancer. Yes. Anyway, but th- this is a funny part, though. At the end of her healing camp, she was like, could hardly walk. She was so sick. And she asked the guy, the head healer guy, like, told him her deal. And he was like, look, I believe that God can heal. I believe in this. But if I was your husband... I would take you straight to the doctor because I believe that God put doctors on the earth to do that. So anyway, so yeah. she she went to the doctor and, I mean, she told me that the doctor had, like, all these interns and people coming in saying, like, this is classic, like, stage four breast cancer, blah, blah, blah. And she survived for 20 years. Um, the breast cancer never came back, but she did get ovarian cancer in her mm-hmm. late 60s. And so when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer... That's when uh, she got the genetic test. Yeah. Because, you know, the BRCA gene was, the mutation was discovered, I think, in 92. And so at the time when she originally had breast cancer, it was super new and they didn't know a lot. Sure. And I mean, just because you have breast cancer doesn't mean you have the BRCA gene okay. mutation. A very small percentage of breast cancer cases are actually BRCA mutation people. Interesting. It's just that if you have the mutation... Your, your likeliness sure. of getting it is very high. So anyway, um, she got that test, and she was positive. And then my mom got the test, and my aunts, because when one of your parents is positive, you have a 50% chance of inheriting it. So two of my aunt, two of my aunt, uh, my mom and one of her sisters is positive, and her other sister's negative. What did they decide to do about it? So my mom was like 48 or 49, so she just immediately had a double mastectomy, hysterectomy. I mean, she was heading into menopause anyway. Sure. So she, um, I so, so specifically remember this day though. Um, I was actually going through a miscarriage. Like I was bleeding, going through a miscarriage and I was down in Bloomington. I don't know why we went down that day, but like when you're having an early miscarriage and you start bleeding, it was the weekend. So there was nothing that could be done. Like, I had to wait and go to the doctor Just on let Monday. your body process. Yeah, because I was, like, seven weeks pregnant. So it was, like, super early. But I was at my – I think we went to Bloomington because I just wanted to be around but my you mom. you knew that's what was happening. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, people can say, like, you can bleed when you're that early. But, like, I was bleeding so significantly. It wasn't spotting. It, oh, no. It was – I knew I was having a miscarriage. I think it was my second miscarriage. Yeah, it was my second one. So I really knew. So unfortunately, you knew what was going on. Yeah. And so <laughs> we were upstairs at my parents' house, and my phone, my mom's phone rang on the weekend, and it was her doctor telling her she was positive for the bracket Ugh. mutation. And I remember just thinking, 
You're like, our reproductive systems are failing us. Like, life is so terrible. Like, I'm having a miscarriage right now. But, you know, in my fear-stated mind that I had, Mm -hmm. it, like, almost my mind went into overdrive of, like, I probably have the BRCA gene. And it, like, I was still super sad about the miscarriage that was happening. But um, my mind was there, too, then. Right. And so so that day will always be so um, just, like, marked in my brain. But I waited... Like a solid two years before to I get got tested because I was scared. Yeah, I was so scared to get tested because I was so scared to find out I was positive because I thought, oh, if I'm positive, like I'm going to have breast cancer when mm-hmm. I'm 30. You know, it's interesting. Um, talking about podcasts, one of the ones I love is Hidden Brain. Have you ever listened mm-hmm. to that one? Um, it's NPR produced, maybe 20, 30 minutes. So it's a quick one, but there's just always little subjects. And one was about the ostrich effect, which is mm. all about people that bury their heads in the sand when they're worried about negative information. And they did a test about for college kids about STDs mm. and they gave free STD tests uh, to people and people didn't take them because they didn't want to know the answer. Yep. But then when they said, we're going to do you know a contest and you have to give us all this information to potentially win $30 or yep. something, everybody signed up for that because it wasn't negative news on the back end, you know? So I thought about that when I thought about your situation because understandably, it's not a fun test to take, right? You know, it could give you relief or it could give you additional fear. Well, and that was just it. So my sisters both got tested and they were negative and they didn't think about it. Like they were just like, like my little sister was like, I'll just get tested and if I'm positive, I'll get new boobs. Like I'll get, I'll have (laughs) a double mastectomy and I'll get new boobs. And like, the fear wasn't there for them. I don't know why. Yeah. Like there, but that's it's the same thing with everything else in life too. Like I remember one time when my sister had um, her, she has three kids. My younger sister, she had like a little lump on her neck, mm-hmm. and I was like freaking out. Like I was like, if it was me, I was thinking yeah. that, and I was kind of freaking out for. It. She like went to the doctor. Like she just like wasn't concerned because right. she was like, I'm just gonna like address the issue and end up being an infection that was nothing. But things like that, my sisters are just very laid back. Yes, and I, I I'm envious of it. Um, so anyway, they I knew they were negative, and I'm like, oh please, like what is what are the odds that we're all three negative? Right. But it was so you mentioned the mortality thing, like uh, being nervous about that more once you mm-hmm. had your child, and I, so that's just what it was. I mean. I've always been selfishly nervous about it because I don't want my life to be gone. Sure. But I, once I had Marshall, um, man, breastfeeding, like I breastfed him for eight, eight months and applause. Yeah. (laughs) I made it 10 weeks before I bought Simulac. Yeah. I mean, but the, at the very beginning, I remember being in the hospital and my boobs filling up with milk. And thinking, oh, this isn't right. Like, what's going on? What's going on? And like, I would feel they hurt. Like, yeah, and I would feel like lumps because the milk was like clogging up and oh, stuff. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh my god, twenty four weeks cancer. pregnant, and I feel them already. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, things just move around in there. Yeah, yeah. and so I-, I was a nervous wreck from the day he was born about breast cancer, and I was yeah. already nervous about it. But um, so you, you needed. I mean, there, there's some about knowledge is power, mm-hmm. and you getting tested gave you the knowledge to make a decision and have some control over something that is somewhat uncontrollable. Yeah, I mean, I was. I so I was training for that half Ironman, and 
I had so much time to think about it. Like I would be like in the pool swimming 2,000 meters. And for me, that takes a really long time. Yeah. And you can't listen to anything when you're doing it either, right? Can't be distracted. Yeah. It's good mindful time. Yeah. And so I was just like, I just have to do it. Well, and then I, so I did. And so who did you talk to about that? I mean, was it just you and Glenn's decision? Did you, do you have like a board of directors that you bounce these ideas off of? I mean, I talked to my, my mom about Mm -hmm. it. My friend, Emily, uh, who's, Mom actually just passed away from breast cancer. Um, at the time, though, her mom had, like, just been diagnosed. Yeah. And so I talked to her about it. Um, but it was just, like, a me decision. Right. You know, I think it was, like, uh, my I was getting my regular checkup exam. And I was, like, I told my doctor, I was, like, I'm just going to do it. Um, but then they lost, like, something happened where uh, the lab took forever so, like, you're supposed to know pretty quick. If, yeah. if it's negative, they send you something in the mail. If it's positive, your doctor calls. And it was, like, three weeks. So you're just on edge. Yeah. Like, I remember ever. I would, like, get in the pool. And I'm like, I don't even want to get in the pool because if she calls, like, I want to make sure You're going to miss the call, right? But also, like, I knew that if I had a voicemail from my doctor, I meant I was positive. So. Right. right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, once I found out that there was a huge relief because I remember thinking, like you said, it was like... If I find out I'm negative, relief. Yes. But if I find out I'm positive, like, I can take action. Yeah. And I don't know. I, You know, it's it's honestly really strange, though, because almost, like, you can get breast cancer either way. So if sure. I found out I was negative, would I still be battling with all of this? Because Maybe. I wouldn't have had my double mastectomy. And, you know... Having a double mastectomy doesn't put you at zero risk. Like, sure. there's still tissue left in there. So, like, you're not at zero risk. But I don't know. Like, But you've taken what action you can. Yes. Right. And will you have to do a hysterectomy at some point? Or will you? I will, for sure. 100%. Because that's the thing about ovarian cancer. The positive thing is I get screened pretty regularly. Um, but it's I, the silent disease, right? Yeah. Like, it's the one you, you don't know until it's almost too late. Yeah. Which I, my ovaries are getting looked at. Six to twelve, every six to twelve months. Well, you keep having babies, so that doesn't hurt. <laughs> I know. Um, and then I get a blood test too. So I'll get one when we're done having babies for sure. I'll I'll, I'll get one. But Glenn is like pushing for me to wait till at least forty because yeah. it's gonna really f up my hormones, and I don't think sure. he's ready to deal with that. Right. As much as we think it'd be great to like get rid of all that, yeah. it's gonna do a damage. I, I mean, know. And my mom's like, you should do hormone replacement therapy, but there's all these like issues with that is that the right thing to do so there's lots of decisions to be made and and part of you wants to get it done because you're like okay I don't want to have to get these my ovaries checked every six months like that brings me anxiety but um I don't think I'm ready to make something be that done final yeah just yet so did you have an attachment to your boobs <laughs> I didn't think I did until I was yeah having the surgery and I was like this is really weird um I didn't I didn't have very big boobs I never thought I did until they changed after mm. breastfeeding. And then you're like, I have this, like, morning of what they were. Yes. <laughs> so I, I just asked because I think if, if all of a sudden someone said to me, you're going to chop these puppies off, I'd be like, oh, wait. Yeah. Maybe I like them more than I thought I did. I've had these things for a really long time. Yeah, right, right. Well, I – so after breastfeeding, they were, like, these, like, tiny little saggy boobs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I, like, was super tiny because I was doing that Iron Man and working out, like, a million hours yeah. a day. And boobs definitely fluctuate with weight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I really had – I didn't have much of anything left. And yeah. so um, 
It's funny because I always say, man, I should have gone bigger. <laughs> we talked about that. Yeah. You and I were at the Indy 500 and I was talking to you about your boobs. I think I'd had some cocktails. They're actually very <laughs> proportional to my body. Yes. Like in all reality. Um, here's the thing though. When you're pregnant and you have fake boobs but no real boobs, like, you know, so people get breast implants. Sure. And they still have their real boobs. Right. Like I don't have that original fat tissue or whatever. So, like, when I get pregnant, like, they don't grow. <laughs> so, like, my belly gets bigger and sure. I get bigger everywhere else, but my boobs stay the exact same. Right. I yeah. don't know. I wouldn't probably hate that. I'm in this. In oh, this, totally. I, I mean, I'm in that two sports bra period yeah. right now. Yeah. And, it, and yet, two sports bras feels really tight, yeah. but you need them when you try to do anything cardio-wise. Oh, so. totally. Before I continue my conversation with Maggie, I want to thank Four Sigmatic for supporting this podcast. Four Sigmatic makes drinking mushrooms and superfoods delicious and easy to do with their mushroom coffees, mushroom superfood blends, and mushroom elixirs. I am loving the elixirs, you guys, and they have hot cocoa as well. It's so good. The superfood blends are so nutritious, and Glenn and I have been adding them to our morning juice. Um, In our juice, we usually juice like kale, spinach, apple, grapefruit celery, a little bit of jalapeno, and then we do a teaspoon of the superfood blend. You guys know Allie Kiefer, who got fifth place at the New York City Marathon, was on this podcast raving about Four Sigmatic and the benefits behind it. You guys can try it out if you go to foursigmatic.com slash another and use the code another to get 15% off your order. That's foursigmatic, F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C, dot com slash another. Use the code another to get 15% off your order. Thank you for Sigmatic for supporting this podcast. I hope you guys check it out. Let's enjoy the rest of my conversation with Maggie, or I should say Maggie's conversation with me. So speaking of pregnancy, um, how did you tackle pregnancy and running? I've always just been really into making sure I keep up with my exercise, Mm -hmm. which because for my mental health, Um, and running just happens to be the easiest thing for me as far as exercising. It's the most enjoyable for me. I've always slowed down a lot. I've never done workouts pregnant. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I want to run a fast last mile or I'll run a 5k and I'll be like, I'm going to run this as fast as I can six months pregnant just to see, you know, how fast I can go. And that feels good to work hard. Um, but I've always just maintained and... I usually run half marathons until about like 25 weeks or something and then I go which is awesome. Yeah. But then I go back go down to 3 to 5 miles. Yeah. I mean, you were running a lot with Russell. Yeah. Because I had Penny in arms at that point yeah. and I would see you on the Monon running like pregnant. Yeah. I've always ran to the very end. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, um Do you have any discomfort? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the end, for sure, like, my hips feel funny and things like that. But I think I've been really fortunate. I was talking to my sister about it because um, she does CrossFit and runs and not – she doesn't run nearly as much as me, but she's never really been a pregnant runner. She's on her second pregnancy. Sure. And she's always like, I don't understand how you do that. And I think that my body just handles it. It works. Better than most, probably. Did you have any concerns after your two miscarriages about working out when you're pregnant with Marshall? Um, not, no, not running. Good. Uh, I've, yeah, cause I've always, I've always heard, you know, if you were running before, there's nothing wrong with it now. Yeah. I think I was probably a lot more careful. I, I mean, I remember I didn't want to try anything new. Right. Um, but I've, yeah, I've always run. I do remember I was like seven months pregnant with Marshall. I did a 5k, the Geist 5k. And I remember running kind of 
harder down a hill or something and feeling like a side stitch and mm-hmm. freaking out about it. Yeah. And being like, that wasn't worth it. Why did I do that? You know? Right. Uh, I did the caramel half at 24 weeks with Penny. And then I sat in my car on the drive home, which I live in downtown. So it's, you know, 30 minute drive. Yeah. And getting out of the car, I was like, oh God, what did I do with my body? And right. I think I created like some sciatica issues. Uh-huh. Like things just shifted. Yeah. And it took a couple days. Um, and then I did another one at 28 weeks and I still felt like the biggest badass. Now it's like, if I get Four miles, and when I talk four miles, it's one mile, take a break, one mile, take a break. <laughs> I feel real. It's just very different this time around than the last time. Yeah. Um, which is hard. But then I also, again, listen to your podcast, I think about these elite runners that are in the shape of their lives and take months off yeah. because they need to, mm-hmm. and they can get their fitness back. I'm not an elite runner, so I'm never going to have that fitness, but I can get my own fitness back, even if I take nine months off, right? Oh, like, totally. It'll come back. It may be a pain. It may be hard. But if I give myself that grace... I think, and that's, I've, I've kind of gotten that inspiration from some of your elites. Man, it is so, the first few runs back, though, after having babies. <laughs> so slow. Like, I always wait the full six weeks because I love giving myself that time yes. off. Yes. You've talked about that. Yes. Like, I'm like, at five weeks, I'm like, oh, man. Only one more week. Yeah. I'm like, excited because I'm ready to let it go. Yeah. But I'm also like, I've really enjoyed, like, not having a commitment to anything other than, yeah. like, laying on the couch eating, eating chips and feeding right. my baby. Well, actually, I mean, that was the case with Marshall, but now it's really not the case anymore <laughs> no, because there's, there's no laying on the couch yes, and hanging out, right? No, that doesn't happen. I mean, if you're on your first baby, enjoy that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right? You know? Well, and you and I have talked about that too because Penny goes to daycare. Yes. So when I'm on maternity leave, oh, I'm still going to have just one kid. So envious. You moms that don't have the daycare yeah. option, I cannot imagine having a newborn and additional children. I Yeah, I have a group. I have like, you know, you have like your different groups of yeah. friends. But I have a group of friends. There's three girls. I, I know them through uh, Glenn is friends with their husbands. Okay. So that was that's like the connection. But we've, we've all become very close. And they all work full time. And so whenever they're on, they were on maternity leave, we've, two of them have two kids. One of them has three and I have three. And I remember when everybody was on their second baby and they would send their kid, their big kid to daycare and be home with just their baby. I remember being so jealous because I was like, you don't even understand. Right. Um, that being said, if I worked full time and my kid went to daycare, 100% I would send them to daycare. Oh, you're paying for you're it. Paying for it. Yeah. And Absolutely. like, why would you not do that? Um, but I just remember thinking the hardest part of having this second and third baby is keeping the bigger two. Like a with Russell, it was keeping him safe from Lewis because Lewis was such a danger to Russell. I mean, he just like, he really was more so than Marshall was to Lewis. What was the age gap? Um, so Lewis was 21 months older than Russ. exactly what Penny and this one will be. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, like I have boys like, no, Penny's a hitter. Okay. Hitter, a pincher. She's a little violent. Yeah. I mean, Russell had like a power ranger to the head at like (laughs) four weeks. Right. I mean, it was, so that was, and I would be afraid that like at one point, I think that when Russell was like eight weeks old or something, Marshall like carried him down the stairs. Oh God. And he just came down the stairs and was so proud. Right. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like let's back up. And you know, it's just, you can't be right in front of them 24 seven. And I was just thinking about this today. Even, I mean, uh, yesterday I was, Dealing with some really disgusting bathroom incident with Lewis. Got it. Upstairs. And Marshall was downstairs. And Russell was downstairs. And and my house is probably not nearly as childproofed as yours, for instance. Like, I saw your Facebook post about having someone come oh, out. Oh, I bought. Like, I paid for someone to do it. Right? You know what, though? That's totally worth it. It was a peace of mind. Yes. I paid for a peace of mind. 
And I was thinking, honestly, right the second, like, I just have to trust that he's fine and, right. you know, Marshall can kind of watch him. And, yeah. And I, you know, I do that. Like, I'll be upstairs when he's downstairs. But this was an extended period of time. And this was a really intense <laughs> bathroom emergency, disgusting thing happening with Lewis. Oh, sounds um, fun. But I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, if this was my first child, there's no way I would let my one-year-old be just, like, roaming around downstairs. None of our cabinets are locked. Right. Don't judge me, people. <laughs> well, I mean, if you haven't had incidents, then it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly putting things back. I'm actually ordering. I have to order. I have three kids, and I don't have child safety locks on anything. <laughs> My issue was I didn't want to get down with a screwdriver and do it all. I know. So I was like, I'm paying for someone to no, do this. you're so, so smart. Well. It, it only makes your life easier. Like, I'm constantly putting cleaning supplies back in the cabinet. Because and pregnant, like, getting up off the ground and chasing Penny, it seems like such a big deal now. Yeah. That I'm thrilled that I can just sit there and be like, you're fine. You can't get into anything. Yeah. It's tough. Sometimes I'm like, you're a lazy parent who doesn't, to me, not you, a lazy parent who doesn't, <laughs> like, take enough precaution, but then... I'm like, but Lindsay, like your life would be so much easier if you did, and you could be lazier if mm. you did take the precautions. But you know, we can also overdo it. Yeah, I mean, I was reading today some. I hate the millennial yes. stereotype, but I was yeah. reading some article today that's about like what millennials do that our parents didn't. And yeah. I realize we can overdo it. Oh, totally. I put myself in the millennial category. I'm actually too old for that. We're but at it's the high fine. End. Yeah, I'm, it's fine. Yeah, we're at the very high. Some end days I want. I very much do not want to be a millennial, I so know. I'm okay with that. So let's talk about. We've got like. Four more topics in 45 more minutes. So okay. let's rock it out. So how do you describe your parenting? That's a good question. And that's funny that I said that's a good question because that's a, like a staller answer. Did you know that? Um, yes, because yes. I've used it many a time yeah. myself, right? But it I, gives you time to think. It gives you right? time to think. I actually was thinking that's a good question. We are very go with the flow. Yeah. We're not huge planners at all. Um, for instance, yesterday, my good friend, Emily texted me and she was like, Hey, are you going to sign Marshall up for any summer camps? And I was like, summer camp? It's January. Yeah. But I very much remember last summer when her kids were in summer camp in like June thinking, Oh, I should see if Marshall can go to summer camp. Like can't sign up for that in June, huh? Right. I don't know these things either. I'm not a planner. I, and you know, I've kind of like always prided myself on not reading the parenting books and things like that. That being said, um, like I, my mom just bought me a book on like teaching kids about money. And, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I'm like, I do need, I do want to start doing that because I'm like, you know what? He's five now. Yep. I think the baby and toddler stuff, you can just figure that shit out. But I, now that he's like, okay, he's going to school and he's turning into this little boy. I do want to be more intentional. Yeah. And intentional is a good word. Yeah. Um, but that being said, we are the kind of parents who, um, we don't overdo much, you know, like I'm not into signing my kids up for a million activities, um, just kind of like, let's yeah. just kind of like live Let them life. be kids. Yeah. It, you know, following you on Instagram, I love your Instagram stories because that is exactly what I would have described what mm. I see. Oh, thanks. Which is, you know, you're doing really fun stuff with your kids, yeah. but sometimes it looks like complete chaos. It, it is chaos. You guys never seem stressed out about the chaos. Like, I can appreciate that. You have three boys. You can't stop yourself from having chaos. Yeah. But the fact that you guys roll with it and it's it just flows in your world, I think is awesome. Yeah. For I would say, and I think for all of my, like, flaws that I have, I think that one positive thing um, is that I, I do let things like that roll. Like, if my kid makes a giant mess, like, 
I will not, I will not, I just don't get mad about stuff yeah. like that because I'm like, what is the point? Absolutely. Things get broken. Kids. Yeah. Right. I just like, I really just let that thing, those things roll off. hundred percent. Glenn will get more angry than I will. Like for instance, we can't keep a, um, window treatment up for the life of us. <laughs> like their curtain rods broken all over our house. Yeah. That's frustrating. Sure. A, because you don't want to have to buy a new one, whatever. But I saw it happen the other day. Marshall jumped off this, uh, like, windowsill, and he just kind of, like, his leg got caught on... He didn't intentionally do it. Well, and Glenn got home, and he was like, what happened to the curtain rod? And I'm like, yeah, it just... It broke. It's no big deal. Like, I just... It happens. It's things. And I think that if I... If I let myself get angry or upset about those things, my life would be so stressful for no reason. Oh, it would just snowball. I yeah. mean, it would just, if you let yourself get upset about the little things, then everything becomes really Well, and big. I think that's one positive thing about my fear of death is that I'm so conscious of um, people going through that and sure. that hardship and and that ultimately being what's going to happen to all of us, that all these little things, I just... Gives you perspective. It just doesn't bother me. Yeah. How did you name your children? Oh, that's a fun question. I was really adamant about having names that weren't common. Yes. Um, achieved. But not made <laughs> Although up. Lewis, I'm hearing a little bit I more. Know. I would say of all, th- so Marshall, Lewis, and Russell, if you're new to the show, <laughs> if you've been listening, you know those are my kids' names. Yes. I would say Lewis is by far the most popular. But it's still, it's still not. It's super still popular. not. It's not Jackson. Yeah. It's not Jackson or Aiden or whatever. Right. Which for the record, I like those names. I do too. Yeah. No problem with Everybody them. likes those names, clearly. Right, which right. is why they're yeah. popular. Right. I just wanted sort of unique names, but not like made up weird names. Hundred percent. Then if that's your thing, that's cool too. But I just kind of always liked the name Marshall. I remember a kid I went to high school with, or I think he went to our high school. I might have gone to South. I didn't know him, but I know knew of him, and I knew his brother. And I remember always liking that name. Yeah, which is weird for like a high schooler to think about. <laughs> right. And then I knew one Marshall in college, and like those were the only two Marshalls I ever knew. And but then uh, Paw Patrol, like there's a character named Marshall, and I was like, oh, oh is gosh, there? yeah. Oh, that's kind of cute, though. Yeah, it's fine. Um, and then I don't know how I thought of a I thought of Lewis. I've named all of our kids. Okay. Though. And Glenn just goes with it, or is he like, um, yes, I like them? Oh yeah, he has very like hard input. If yeah. He'd, if he was like. No way, then we wouldn't he do it. He doesn't seem like somebody who's um, a wallflower in no. these scenarios. He was on board 100% with all of them. Yeah. Um, and then Russell. Oh, I have a friend, actually, Beth Olson, who was my old boss. I know Beth. Oh, you know Beth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At Back on My Feet. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Her second son is named Russell. Oh, love it. And he's way older, though. I mean, her kids are probably like 13 and 11 now. And I remember when she told me her son's name was Russell, I was thinking, that's interesting. That's a different name. And this was before I had any kids. Yeah. And so I'd always kind of thought of that name. And then once we got to number three, I was like, I was still thinking of it. Yeah. And I texted Beth and I was like, hey, I just want you to know I'm thinking about maybe my our kid this. I don't want you to think I'm like stealing your name. And she was like, oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. And she loved it. So It's a compliment. Yeah. I think honestly though, Russell might be my favorite name of the three. Really? Yeah. That's fun. I do love Lou though. Big Lou. Big Lou. Yeah. Yeah. It works. And they work well together. Yeah. So I don't know if we ever have any more kids. Like, I don't know. Well, you, you know you've got to have a theme now. I mean, you've got you've got a genre you've got to stick with. It's kind of like an old, yeah. older name, yes. but I don't know. Uh, so, the, But one of the girls from Black Girls Run 
at a monumental marathon last year. I had Russell down at the finish line with yeah. me. He was 10 days old. And she goes, you know, they were all excited to meet him. She goes, you always name your kids black kid names <laughs> or black person names. And I was like, you know, that's really funny because if you think of all my kids' names, there usually is like a black athlete, like a basketball oh, sure. player, like Russell, uh, what's his name? Russell Wilson. Like there's always sure. a famous black Isn't athlete that with funny? their name. And I said, I, I've thought about that before too. They're definitely I've names. I've never thought about it, but I can see it. Yeah, they're definitely names that go. Either way. Yeah. I, um look up the Social Security Administration website, Uh and I do it from, like, 1880 to 1920, because, again, I want some classic Mm -hmm. good names, but maybe ones that people have forgotten about. They aren't, like, super common or boring, but they're not. I mean, we struggle with it. Um, But it's fun. And then you're afraid that, like, as soon as you name your kid that everybody's going to name your kid that. Yeah. my niece have to, like, get over it. Who's six, her very best friend is named Elsa. Yeah. And that was before Frozen by, like, 12 months. Can you imagine? So this girl's name is Elsa, which is either the coolest thing or the worst thing for her at this point. But her poor parents are like, Elsa was my name, and now Disney made the most popular movie ever. Yeah. So I sort of feel bad about that. That's so frustrating. Oh, for sure. Um, So what's a day in the life? Like, what's a normal day look like for you guys? You talk about going to the Y, so we know that's part of it. But, like, from wake up to bedtime, walk me through quickly, like, what your day is. Well, it really depends. Like, right now, for instance, after that marathon, I'm, like, totally in chill mode. Awesome. Like, probably working out maybe four days a week or something like that. So I'm not as like married to getting to the why and I'm trying to embrace like a slower day sometimes. Yeah. Um, Marshall goes to school every day from seven 50 to three. So awesome. Either. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's amazing. So either Glenn or I take him I mean the hour from, from seven to seven 40 at our house is like pure insane. But you get up early sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. To get some serenity. Yes. I like to get up if I, if my body is ready to get up. I don't set alarms. Ever. Okay. Yeah. I literally have a rule that the only time I would ever set an alarm is if I had to be somewhere. A flight or something or like something that. Or something like right? that. Yeah. I do not set alarms. I mean, I know that I'm not going to sleep in super late, so yeah. I can't. Sure. Everybody else gets up. Um, but if, if my body wakes up, if I like wake up to go to the bathroom at like five, yeah, I'll get up for the day for sure. Um, but yeah, that 7 to 740 is always pure insanity. So one of us takes Marshall to school, then Glenn goes to work. Some, you know, like some days he can go in a little bit later. And what does Glenn do? Glenn, yeah, everybody's like, what does Glenn do? I wish he could just like work with me on the podcast and yeah. like create this big thing. But uh, he works at Covance Central Labs on the west side of Indianapolis. And it is, they do like drug testing yes. for like Pfizer and Lilly and all these big companies. Um, he does not work in the lab and do the drug testing. He works on the finance side of things. Okay. I think I knew finance, but I couldn't remember the other part. Yeah. It's a, I mean, Coviance is huge. Very big. I think they're like 1,500 employees just here. So he works at, the central lab is here in Indianapolis, but they have locations in like, I think it's South Carolina, New Jersey. They're in, uh, Switzerland. Like they're kind of all over. That's awesome. Yeah. So he goes to work. Yeah. So like a normal day, like. I would take the boys to the Y. We'd go to the Y from like 8.30 to 10.30 or whatever. Use that full two hours. Mm-hmm. And come home, make them lunch, nap them, pray that they nap to, at the same time. <laughs> right. Always kind of difficult because I'll put Russ down and Lewis is like lingering at my feet. Right. Maybe I can get him to watch TV while we do that. Uh, put Lou down. And I will either work 
or I will sit on the couch and like passively work and watch TV. It just depends on what's sure. going on. Like these past three weeks, I've actually had like a good amount of downtime, which has good. been amazing because I recorded a bunch of interviews and, um, you know, sometimes, and you're probably like this at work too. Like I'm just go, go, go. And I'm super motivated to be productive and the best I can be. But then I'll have a lull where I'm like, I just can't go, go, go. Right yeah. I'm going to get on Amazon and yeah. look at their daily deals. Yeah. Yes. Um, like yesterday I was on the Athleta website no. and watching The Bachelor Sounds at nap time. Yes. Um, so yeah. And then we pick Marshall up at three and then I'll either try to go somewhere or, you know, just like write it out at home until Glenn gets home. Glenn usually gets home around six. And then when's bedtime? Um, early, like. Russ goes down around 6.30, and the boy, the big boys, like, we try to get them down by, like, 7.30. That's nice. Yeah. So like, then you have some adult time. Yeah. Like, we ha- – I try to get them up in their room at, like, 7.15, and I am try to be out of there by, like, 7.45. It's uh, impressive for three kids. Yeah. Like, Glenn lays with Lewis until he falls asleep, and I lay with Marshall for about five minutes, and then I zoom out of there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, because they're ready – they're tired, and I'm ready. I'm like, get this show on the road. Yes. And sometimes I go to bed at 8.30, though, so that's, yeah, that's 45 I'm, minutes. Lately, I'm a 9 o'clock yeah. girl, so that's an hour and a half. Yeah. But I love that hour and a half. Yeah. Um, and in the summer, we do a lot more. I'm super paranoid this winter about, like, illness and stuff like that. And I know we can't avoid it completely, but I'm also kind of like – um, if I can, I'm going to try and with the little guys, oh, absolutely. we've been staying home a little bit more. The flu is pretty bad this year. Yeah. So I think that's fair. Did you always know you wanted a big family? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, classify three kids as a big family. I think so. Yeah. These days, I think a lot of people sure. stop it too. Uh, I, I remember when I was holding Lewis when he was a little baby thinking, I don't want this to be the last time I do this. Yeah. And it's funny because I don't love the newborn stage. I don't don't think a lot of moms do. Right. My sister-in-law does. Really? And, I mean, she's the one that needs to go, like, those people that sit in hospitals and hold heroin newborns. Like, that should be her. Yeah. She loves it. I'm the same way with you. I I don't get a lot of interaction. Yeah. And I like when I start getting smiles and Mm -hmm. they can grab and I know that they can actually see who I am. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm with you. But I looked at him thinking, I don't want this to be the last time I do this. And I would look at a family picture of the four of us, and I'd be like, I just don't it's feel not like complete. that's complete. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. That's awesome. Um, have you ever had body issues? You know, I like to say I haven't. I've definitely not had an eating disorder um, that you hear a lot of women yeah. deal with. But I do remember from, like, a young age, like, thinking about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Um, my mom won't listen to this, but I think a lot of it stems from like how she brought us up. And sure. like, I, I can very distinctly remember my mom like talking about needing to work out and feeling fat and, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and my sister, my older sister, um, she had a pretty significant eating disorder for a really long time. Really? Um, yeah, she dealt with anorexia for a really long time. And then, um, she had like a, a binge eating thing and she's talked about it. Um, Pretty openly. Yeah. She doesn't over-talk it or talk about it much anymore, but um, 
I mean, we would go to, like, a counselor together, like, as a fam. Like, my mm-hmm. mom and her and I would go. And I still think to this day that my mom is a little bit blind to why all that happened. Mm. Um, you had someone on your – I can't remember who it was, but you had somebody on your podcast that talked about that as well. Like, just so, somebody talking about that, that it all stems from parenting and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and I remember back then, too, like, my parents kind of blowing it off. Like, it was – like, she, but if you look at pictures, like, you can so see that she had a major issue. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that me wanting to exercise all the time has always been good for my mental health, Mm -hmm. but there's always been something there that says like, you want to do this because it makes your body feel good too. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. The older I've gotten, the less I've cared though. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think you could probably, if you've known me for the past like five years and probably my friends uh, that know me like intimately could probably tell a big difference like if I post a picture running and like my belly looks jiggly now like I honestly don't care and I kind of embrace that because of like it's real I had three kids in this belly and you know what like I don't do lots of ab work I don't do stuff like that I do eat a lot of carbs I like them they make my life Mm -hmm. enjoyable and um I'm totally okay with going out and running in the sports bra and Looking like I did maybe have three kids. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I think six years ago, before I had kids, I would be self-conscious of that body. Yes. I understand that. I feel like I ran mostly during my pregnancy with Penny, so I wouldn't gain a lot of weight. Yeah. I only gained 23 pounds with her, which is pretty low. Yeah, that's really low. But I only lost 12 of them. Mm. (laughs) So, Mm. I mean, I still had 10 or 11 for a year before I got pregnant with this baby, And so part of me thinks, like, all that effort, all those times I was running, not because it felt good, not because I wanted to, but because I thought I've got to do this to stave off the water weight, the weight gain, whatever, and I did it, but in the end, it didn't make me bounce back any faster because, I mean, I I always struggled with weight, and I always have to work really hard to lose it. Not very good at working really hard to lose (laughs) it. So part of me with this pregnancy, I just have such a a more calm attitude about it, which is, like, I'm going to gain weight, and I'm going to be faced with exactly what I was last time. So I'm not going to run if it feels uncomfortable. Like, I ran the other day and it felt like there was a baby arm sticking out of me. Like, this didn't feel right, right? right? So at that point, it's like, you know what? I'm not doing it because it's not going to make that big of a difference. But take some maturity and age, I think, to get there. Yes. And I still struggle with it. Yeah. Mostly daily, right? So it's good that you haven't had big issues. But the fact that your sister did probably makes you really conscious. Yeah. I mean, when I hear people talk about eating disorders and, like, you know, people that say, like, they would liter- they would pay attention to the amount they ate and make sure that then they would go work out for that amount of calories or something right. like that. Like I've never I've thankfully never thought like that. I've always just thought if I can get my workout in, I'm gonna feel better about my body and my mental health is gonna be better and Absolutely. like it'll all balance balance out. But yeah, and I, and I remember my friend Laura before the Fort Bend half this year, um, I think I raced in my sports bra, I can't remember. But I said something, and she had, I think she had, she had had a baby around the same time as me, and I think she felt like she had gained some of her weight back after she stopped breastfeeding. And she said something like, oh, you're braver than me. And I, I said, I'm not braver than you. I just don't give a shit. Absolutely. And she didn't say that, um, like, in a negative way yes. at all. Um, and she's probably listening because she does listen to this show. But I remember thinking, I said, I, I just don't give a shit. And I remember thinking, I'm so glad I don't give a shit. Right? You know, like, I don't care. And it feels really... Absolutely. And I think if I was truly overweight, I probably would care. 
And Maybe. I know that I'm not. Right. No, um, you're not. But I also can really appreciate – I follow some people on Instagram that are larger and they're they're posting often about like just body consciousness yeah. and body awareness and body confidence. And I have such respect for women yeah. that truly will not look like what society wants you to and yeah. wear whatever. I say this knowing that like – I run a lot, and people probably look at me and think, oh, that's easy for you to say, like, right. you're you're tall and thin and whatever. I don't know. No, I agree. I, th- I mean, I, I just feel like when I think about Penny and raising her, I want her to believe very much that it's about what your bodies can do, not what they look like. Yes. And I think you said that in your I did. interview with you. But I also think, you know, even raising boys, yes. it's like, you know, I, fat shaming isn't something that's okay, right? They're just, I think there just needs to be an acceptance of people look like different sizes. Yes. And um, I think there's a lot of discrimination against people that are of a heavier weight. And so I'm super self-conscious to that. Or sensitive, I guess, is the right word. Well, and you think about that now, too. Like when you describe people, for instance... Um, there was a teacher at Marshall School. I was I was asking him a question about her, and I couldn't remember her name. And I was like, I don't know how to physically describe this woman without saying something that could be. I don't want him to take it the wrong way. And right. this woman's a thin woman, but I didn't want to say, you know, the thin woman. Yeah, you just you didn't know, want to, to describe child. anything to do with the weight, right? Yes, but when you're describing someone to another adult, you kind of do need to use those words if you're gonna, right? you know, really say who they are, but I just, I don't even want him to think about those things right. yet. And so... Because um, you know they're going to hear about it. Well, and that's another... We yeah, and that's another, like, book I probably need to read on that because I do feel kind of a huge re- amount of relief that I have boys. <laughs> right. Uh, not that boys can't have eating disorders and things like that, um, but I just feel like I, I'm not as guarded... Right. The pressure's different. Yeah. But that being said, you do need to be just as careful because what your little boys are going to school and... Right. They could the be, words they could be they causing the problem. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Because I remember I've always said, I will never say I feel fat, I'm fat, or anything like that in front of my kids. And um, I've tripped up a couple times on some things and I look at Glenn and I'm like, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. It's easy to do. Yeah. And I feel bad because Josh is who I talk to everything about. And yeah. so he gets the brunt of yeah. my fat days. Yeah. And he gets so frustrated with me because he doesn't see me that way. Yeah. And God love him for seeing. I wish I saw myself the way he sees me. Um, but I do feel badly because I think he thinks I'm probably more disturbed yeah. <laughs> than I really am. Yeah. But it's because who else do you talk about those days with? You right. know, to your point, you talk yeah. about that with your person. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about running because it, we should probably talk about you running on your running podcast. Yeah. Um, when did you really get into it and when did you know you were good? Because you are a good runner. I mean, I think sometimes you downplay it because you're talking to like Des. Yeah. But comparatively to just the normal everyday runner, yeah. you're very fast. I ran in high school, and my my best friend convinced me to run on the cross-country team with her. And, oh, my gosh, the night before our first meet, it was just a inner squad meet. It was, like, our to see who was going to run on varsity the first for the first meet of the year. I remember crying the night before, and, like, the morning of, I was so scared. Yeah. What was the distance? 2.6 miles. Yeah. Um, but in high school, that's yeah. a lot. So yeah, in high school, girl in Indiana, I graduated high school in 2002. Uh, in Indiana, the girls ran a 4K and the boys ran a 5K. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I think it's changed now. I think the girls run the 5K now too, which makes sense. We should be running the same right. distance, right? right. 
But I remember at the time thinking, I'm so glad we don't have to do the 5K. <laughs> right, because that, that extra, you know, K. half mile or whatever yeah. it was, right? I remember thinking, I can't believe the boys run that far. But I got, like, fifth place on my team. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and so I, because the top seven girls run varsity. And so I pretty much always did run somewhere in that top seven throughout my high school career. And our team was good, but it wasn't, like, we weren't top in state or anything like that. We did go to state two years. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. But I I never, like, I loved the hard work and I loved the after the race, but I never learned how to love the race. And the nerves that I got before the race were just, like, gut-wrenching. Like debilitating. Like, oh, yeah. And I remember that last cross-country race, I was just like, thank God I don't ever have to do this <laughs> again. <laughs> right. You know? And then you started to electively yes. run races. Yeah, so it was kind of cool in college because you just, I would just, work out to stay in shape mm-hmm. and not gain a bunch of weight and just kind of like I knew even at that young of an age that I needed to exercise for my mental health. Yeah. I knew that it made me feel better and so I always I always stayed active. Like and were your parents active? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can never remember a time in my life since I started running high school and cross country in high school that like I went more than a week without exercising. Yeah. Like it was just kind of always part of my life. And my mom, yeah. I remember being like six and my mom taking it we would go to the gym the child care and she don't she always worked out I can remember my mom like doing lunges around our circle driveway with like a bar on her shoulders that's legit yeah so my mom people were doing like step aerobics at that point yeah yeah. um interesting though my mom started running when I ran cross country in high school like she would like but then she doesn't run anymore she doesn't run anymore she had his bad knees it's just a genetic thing though yeah I know she's super bummed about it um, but she did run some marathons for a while there. She had, like, a good um, – she'll probably say I'm wrong, but I'd say she had a good, like, 10 years of, of running in her. That's good. But anyway, yeah. And my dad, he – my dad. so my dad owns a construction business. Not anymore. He's a roofer, though. And um, something I've always been super proud of is that my dad – my parents had us when they were really young. Mm-hmm. My they, my mom was 19 and oh, my dad wow. was yeah. – yeah, 21 when they had my older sister – and so then my mom was 21 when she had me, 24, sure. 23 when she had my... God, can you imagine? No. My mom is always like, we didn't have any money when our kids were that little. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you were 19. <laughs> you also didn't know any better. Right. right? Like, yeah. uh, we didn't have kids till we were I was 30. still watching Real World. Yeah. Like, how do you raise a child if you're still watching Real World? She wasn't watching Real <laughs> right. World. Because you weren't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, we wouldn't have any money either if we had kids when we were 19. Right. Mom. I'd be living in your basement with my kids. Oh, yeah. It'd be a big family affair. <laughs> um, that being said, if I had kids when I was 19, I would have had a lot more family support than my parents did. Not that they came from terrible families, but, like, their families didn't have any money either. Sure. They weren't getting checks written to them. No. And so I've always been super proud of my parents for, like, making the way on their own. Um, like, they had nothing. They didn't They didn't go to college. And so um, my dad just started, like, working for another guy doing roofing and construction and, like, learning from him. And at some point, this – I don't remember if the guy or my dad kind of just said, like, if you're ever going to, like, really make money and, like, be successful at this, you're going to have to go out on your own. And so he did. And he started a roofing business and just kind of, like, kind of a self-made entrepreneur. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you always knew hard work was what it was going to take. Yeah, and my mom went to nursing school when I was, like, eight that's hard. Yeah. And so, um, and then, so my mom's a nurse and so, yeah, I've always been super proud of like how my parents taught us, like, you know, like 
you have to work hard for the things yeah. that you want in life. And not that if they had been to college, they didn't have to work hard, but they kind of like, I mean, my dad lived on his own when he was 16. Like who doesn't live with their parents when they're still it's in crazy. high school? Yeah. You know? Well, and you talk a lot about you like working hard and yeah. you, you know, I, I talked about this, um, in the notes I sent you, but at CrossFit, they always call it the pain cave, yeah. right? Like embrace the pain cave, which I always think, God, I try to avoid it. Right. Yeah. But you do a really good job in your races yeah. of being able to say like, it's supposed to hurt yeah. and it's okay to hurt. How do you get yourself there? How do you stay there? Yeah. I think that a lot of people give up before they need to. Yes. And I mean, I've, done it several times myself too. I think back to races and I'm like, oh, I could have worked harder in that mile. But I think that a lot of people are willing to work really hard in their workouts and then they give up on race day. And there's something to be said for not giving up on race day. Yeah. Not that it's a big day. Not that everybody gives up completely, but if you're going to lay it all out there, don't lay it all out there in your mile repeats three weeks before your right. race, like leave a little bit left on your last repeat and lay it all out there on race day. Yeah. So I think that a lot of it is like tapping into that extra drive and telling yourself like, this is going to hurt, but I'm going to get to the finish line as fast it. as I can. Are you a mental runner? I mean, do you struggle with sort of mental demons when you run? Yeah. Glenn says I'm a really bad half marathoner. I'm much better at the marathon because in the half marathon, I get really stuck in my head around, like, mile seven. Like, yeah. oh, shit, how am I going to do this? But yet you can go another 19 in a marathon. I know. The funny thing is, is my half marathon PR is, like, a minute faster than what I went through the half in at Monumental. Yeah. You know, so I, I, well, I have not tapped into my half marathon potential. Right. I haven't given myself a ton of opportunity to because I keep having babies. Yep. And then when you do it, you do marathons. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and... You can PR in a half marathon when you're marathon training. People do it all the time. Yeah, that's what I, I did. Yeah, I've done it. Um, that being said, if you put some hardcore focus into half marathon training and not racing a half marathon on tired marathon legs, you're probably going to yeah. race a lot more to your potential. Mine was I had trained for the London Marathon, and I PR'd then, and then a few weeks later I did the mini. And because I'm such a mental runner, it was truly to me like, this is oh, half of what I did. Miles. This is no big deal. Yeah. And when it was a little hard, it was like, yeah, but I'm doing half of this, you yeah. know? But to me, I'm I'm the exact person you're talking to who does yeah. not get myself to that painful place. Like, yeah. I, I think I'm so over-concerned about pacing and am I going to have enough at the end that I always, like, overcompensate and bring myself slower than I probably need to do. Yeah. And to an extent, it's like, well, is it worth it? Do I need to do that? Do I want to do that? So it's like a personal preference. Like, maybe some people want to run a two-hour half marathon and that's not that hard for them, but, like, that's okay with them, and that's what yeah. they want to do. That being said, two hours can be really hard for some people. Yeah. Hand raised. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not discrediting I've done that. It. I've gotten under it, but it's been a few years. But there's nothing wrong with running for simply enjoying running. Yes. We all feel good, though, when we push ourselves. Oh, the, there's nothing better than a PR, and yeah. I haven't done it in a long time, but, man, you just feel such pride. Yeah. I mean, monumental this year, I only PR'd by a minute and a half. But at those speeds, that's a yeah. lot. I mean, yeah. if you had PR'd by two seconds, would you you'd still been pretty happy. Yeah, I I said going into Monumental this past year, I knew I was in shape for anywhere between like a three oh eight and a three fifteen. Yeah. Like I pretty much knew for sure, unless I got sick or injured. You were gonna get there. I knew that my wheelhouse was somewhere in there. I knew that even if I sort of like 
really struggled in the last 10K that I could probably sneak in under 315. That being said, I did. I had that stupid fall. Right. In Ugh. your garage. I fell four days before that race uh, holding Lewis. I was uh, going back to the car to get his uh, sippy cup of milk. And we just... Bit it. Yes. And I rolled my ankle. And my ankle was swollen yeah. during the marathon. And so I tried to not let it get in my head. Yeah. Um, and then after afterwards, uh, Glenn and I talked about it quite a bit. And, like, I hate it when people make excuses for their races. But mm-hmm. I'm going to make this excuse. Like, I'm pretty confident that it really affected my body. 100% it did. Yeah. And so, but going into the race, I said, I want to be a part of this race. Mm-hmm. I have been on the sidelines for the Monumental Marathon that runs through my neighborhood so many years because I've been pregnant or I've been recovering from surgery. And I've run it three other times in the past 10 years. But I wanted to race this more than anything. And so I, my thing was, like, get to the start line with a swollen ankle. If I I went to a physical therapist, my friend Brian Sheeter, and I had him look at it, and he said, You're going to be okay. You can do it. So you knew you weren't going to cause, like, major damage. (sighs) Yes, exactly. I wasn't going to be stupid. I also didn't know if I'd get to mile 10, though, and my ankle would be like, okay, we're done. It never did that, but my body, my 34-year-old body, was stiff the entire race because of that fall. It made me feel like an old lady, though, because I was like, no. I mean, I think it's also, I mean, it was was a real fall, real injury. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but you did it. You got through it, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was super proud of that race because... I mean, I saw you. I, I like, yelled out to you at mile I know. Five. I missed you. You I caught know. me, which I was glad you did. Well, I knew exactly where you'd be standing. Yes. And, and Josh um, was, like, 30 seconds away from you. I mean, yes. you guys were running very similarly. Yeah. He, he he ran, like, a 305, right? Uh, Something like that. 304, 305, something like that. Which tells you how smart of a race he ran because five miles in, we were right next to each other, and I ran a 311. Oh, well, close, though. But he, Josh, her husband, Josh, is his marathon period like 256? 253. Oh, 253. Yeah, okay. it's been a while. Man, I added three minutes. Sorry, Josh. No, he, that was the one that he and Glenn yes. ran together. And he, like, he, like went blazing end. past Glenn. He was feeling so good. Yeah. He's um, not feeling that way this race, but he still did a very good job. Well, he, so he kind of jogged past us at, like, mile three. And I say he jogged, I was running fast. Sure. Like, for me. He was chilling. Yeah. And I was already working hard. Yeah. Like, at mile three. And I remember See, he was mentally like, that would have just hurt me. Yes. And I remember he was like, Lindsay, or he said, um, what are you guys going for? And we said kind of like around 310. Yeah. And then he kind of went on his way. But the whole race, I remember thinking, like, this is going to be a huge effort mm-hmm. for 26 miles. Do you, you were not listening to music. No. Nope. And so... You and Glenn runs with you a lot. Yes. Or you run with the Glenn a lot. Yes. Um, that I don't think would go really well in my marriage. So how how does that work? How does he motivate you? How do you guys not get competitive or just annoy the hell out of each other? Well, we don't get competitive with each other because he's, like, so much faster than Fair. me now. Um, I also think Glenn is really good at working really hard and getting yeah. to that place. I think he probably goes to that place more than most people are willing to go, more than I'm willing to go. Um, he's He is a very strong mental runner. Like, he doesn't really get nervous. I mean, he gets that, like, pre-race, like, jitters. Yeah, like, just kind of like, oh, I'm ready to go do this. But, like, he enjoys working hard. He, yeah. And not that I don't, but, like, he doesn't – I think that a lot of us have that 
fear of when it hurts, will I give up? Yeah. And he doesn't have that fear. He just knows he can do it. He's comfortable that he won't give up. And I think that that's, if we could all get to that place, we would oh, all awesome. run so much faster. Right. So to answer that question, though, we do kind of get at each other a little bit. So, for instance, if it's a really hot day and we're doing a long run and he's, I kind of let him guide the runs and stuff like that, like the routes, but I'll get annoyed with him if I don't know where I'm going. And yeah. I'm like, you didn't tell me we were turning there. And just like the basic <laughs> right. stuff like that. Bickering. Uh, but as far as races and stuff, like he kind of just minds himself and feeds me the things I need to hear. I mean, he's been, we've been doing this for a while now. So he yeah. kind of knows the things I need to hear and knows the things that'll piss me off. Yeah. There was a race that I think it was monumental. And I was riding my bike um, down Meridian next to Josh. And so at that point, you've got two miles left, yep. right? Yep. And I'm like waxing philosophical, the most motivational things I can imagine. Yes. I'm like telling him, you know, you were out there every Saturday and no one was there to cheer for you and you didn't have people on the sidelines and you didn't get a medal. That was the hard work. This is the reward, right? Like things that I think are, are going to be, be huge. Yeah. He finally looks up at me and just points to his headphones. And like, he I can't had, hear, I'm not listening yep, to you. He basically like, I don't want to listen to you right now. <laughs> and it was just that moment where I was like, here I think I'm inspiring him. And what he needs is me to shut the hell up. Yep. And he's just going to do his thing. Yep. And so, like, we learn kind of that from each other. And also in CrossFit, if ever we're, like, competing, and again, I'm not nearly the CrossFitter that he is. But back in the day, I used to do those little competitions. Yeah. And he would, it would never work if he told me, like, get back on the bar. Go, go, go. Because... He's the person I can fall apart in front of. So he's the person mm-hmm. that I can say, like, yep. this hurts. And he's the one I can be weak in front of where yes. I don't want to be weak in front of anybody else. So it's he's not the person I work hard for. He's the person I fall apart for. Yes. So it's But yet some Peter Brossovan comes up to me and says, uh-huh. Maggie, get on the bar. I'm like, yes, coach, on it right now, right? <laughs> like, So it's I've always been inspired watching you guys because it works for you guys. I completely understand what you mean, though, because – we, I've gone back and forth. Like when he was going to run monumental with me, I went back and forth so many times. Like, will I be tougher if he's not there with me? Yeah. Um, but I think he's figured out what to say to me to make me want to be tougher. Like, you know, in this past marathon, he would say things like, I mean, my, so I would say my two weakest parts at monumental this year was mile, mile 13. Like after I passed the half, I went cruising through 133.30, I think, was the half. Awesome. But I knew that that was too fast. Like, I knew that I wasn't going to hold that pace yeah. for the second half. And it kind of scared me, like, what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and then at mile 24, I was Ugh. like, I don't, like, I don't know that I can do this. And there was probably, like, seven minutes there where it, I was pretty, like, right. embarrassingly, like, week. <laughs> well, but it's funny because someone listening to this who's never run a marathon would be like, you've done 24, you can't do two more. I know. But some of those moments are yeah. like, no, I really can't fathom yeah. doing that. And then once I hit 25, I was like, yes, you can do anything for a mile. But uh, at 24, when I was, so I think my slowest mile was like 745. So fast. So it wasn't like, and to You me, never fell apart. Yeah. I, I would not consider that falling, blowing up. I would say blowing up would be if I was running like 8.45. Sure. At the pace I was trying to run. So I never blew up, but I was gradually slowing down in the last like 10 miles. And um, he said, no, this is all on you. Like when you cross the finish line, like you're the only person that that is going to like feel like I gave up or I gave it everything. Mm -hmm. And not that I cared what other people thought, but there is a little bit of gratification when people are 
praising you Absolutely. and happy for you and proud of you. Um, but when he said that, I was thinking, that's true. Like, whether I – I knew at that point I had sub-315 locked in. I did not know if I had a PR locked in, though, because yeah. I had a minute and a half to spare, you know. Uh, that being said, I wasn't running him with a watch. Oh, wow. I had no idea. So you were just, like, all in Glenn's hands at that point. Yeah. However, the 310 pacer passed us at mile 23-ish, so I, I had a pretty Have good Have you ever gauge. run – a race with a pacer the entire time. No, and we never. But you've been a pacer. Yeah, we never, we never ran with the pace group on, on this race. Um, I so that was the interesting thing about this race too is like I decided not to run with a watch, mm-hmm. and I kind of knew that Glenn would guide me a little bit, but I, I, I guided the pace the whole time. Yeah, I knew that he wouldn't let me get too crazy, and I knew that he would kind of keep me in check if I slowed down a little bit. The, the pacers, though, being every five minutes, you kind of gives you an idea where you are. I knew for the entire race, 305 was in front of us and 310 was behind us. So uh, until they passed us. So you knew you were in the range. Yeah. Right. And, well, and you see the clock at mile 13. Yes, that helps. The halfway point. Um, but I never knew, like, am I running 705s? Am I running 730s? When I was slowing down, I never knew. Like, for all I knew, I was running an 815 pace. I didn't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'd like that or not, but it worked. And you got your PR. Yeah. And you can kind of... You know, you can kind of tell when you're slowing down, and um, but yeah, anything or anybody that typically annoys you when you're running a race. Like, are there any specific runners that you're like, ugh, they drive me crazy? Well, I don't want people like talking to me when I'm (laughs) fair. Like strangers. Um. Yeah. I mean, strangers can say a little bit to me, but like, I if you're engaging me in conversation, Mm -hmm. that's fine. But you're not like racing in the way that I'm racing right now right. and I, I can't talk. Yeah, that's fair. So I just kind of be quiet. It's funny, the mini this past year, um, I ran the 132 and it was a pretty perfectly even paced race and I felt really good and I was just like clicking away the whole time and the Indianapolis Mini Marathon is huge for people listening. Maggie knows this. You run it every year basically too. There's like 30,000 people that yeah. run this race. But we're from Indy, and we know a lot of runners in Indianapolis. And, I mean, we probably saw no less than, like, 30 people that we knew in the sure. race. Because we started um, – I didn't register until the night before. So we had to start – Oh, so you had to pass a bunch of people. Yeah, we started in the second wave, which if you're running a 132, you should be in the first wave. Right. So we caught up to the first – the back of the first wave pretty yeah. early on. So we were with people, like, the entire time passing people that started in wave one – and, I mean, so many people in that race, like, like, hey, Lindsay. And I, like, I didn't even look at anybody. I, like, blinders on, yeah. head down, and Glenn kind of had to right. take over. Those people weren't annoying me. I loved it. But I'm just saying, like. Yeah, you're not in the place where you're trying to have a social race. I can't. Right? Yeah, I can't talk. I once ran a race where a girl had, like, jingle bells on, and I could not get away from her. And, like, once I oh. heard it, it was, like, those little bells mm-hmm. constantly with every step. And I was, like, either I slow down and I screw up my race because I have to get away from you or I speed up and screw up my race because I have to get away from yeah. you. So I, there's always somebody, but I'm I'm kind of an angry distance runner. Like if I'm in a race, I'm usually not in a good mental place and so then everything drives me nuts. You know what though? I'm probably that person because You don't wear jingle bells when you run. No. <laughs> okay, I was like not that person. You like I slam my feet. Oh. I am so loud. Really? Yes. Josh is too. Oh my gosh. He's a loud runner. I, I actually People only heard it on, on a treadmill. Like on a treadmill I hear him slapping. Oh you I yeah. did you hear it when you were when we ran? No, I didn't notice day? at all. 
Oh my gosh. Like people will turn their heads and look really because they're like, what is coming my way? <laughs> like it's so loud. I have uh, my feet uh, pronate really bad. Yeah. And uh, I have really high arches, and a lot of my weight goes to the ball of my feet. Yeah. And I just slam my feet down. I don't know if Amy Bracken or Amy Lauer is going to listen to this, but she she would know. Oh my gosh, yes. I did take an Instagram story the other day running on the, like, my feet on the treadmill, and she was like, oh, I'd hear those feet anywhere. That's hilarious. Yes. Do you have to wear a stability shoe? I wear custom orthotics. Oh, nice. Yeah. The only time I stopped wearing them for a year, I tore my plantar fascia. So So we're back to the orthotics. We're back to the orthotics. So I'm probably that person for a lot of people. Uh, That being said, Monumental. I mean, I hear this in every race, though. No, it was Fort Bend when we did the Fort Bend half a few weeks before Monumental. There was this guy running next to us that was, like, breathing so heavy that I was like, how Mm -hmm. are you running this fast? Breathing that hard. Yeah. Like, how are you sustaining that for 13 right. miles? And I felt bad being annoyed because, like, he just wanted to finish the race, right. too. But I, it really was, like, driving me crazy because yeah. I was like, get away from me. Well, that's the thing. It's just when you're trying really hard and it's hard or it's hurtful, everything yeah. annoys you. I was on a treadmill at work the other day, and two girls, one on the elliptical to my right and one on the treadmill to my left, were talking over me. Oh, uh-uh. And it was like, it's it's a work gym. I'm sure they were talking about work. But I, like, no. kept turning, like, trying to be obvious. I was turning my phone up on volume to be like, ladies. No. Don't do this right yeah. now. Like, and, again, I, I might have actually been walking. So I really had no reason to be upset. But I can get annoyed very easily. That's not okay, though, what yeah. they were doing. I mean, if they needed to, like, say a couple things. Like, and, like hey, how's your workout? Have a good one. on. Yeah. But, like, full-on conversation with someone in the middle. Mm. No. No. Not I, okay. I'm with you on that. Um, how many miles are you running a week if you're running, if you're training for a full? So... Actually, for Monumental this past year, I, on average, was probably running 45 miles a week. Still a lot. It's a but lot. But not as much low. as if you're, it's your profession. Yeah. Or, like, I think a lot of people are running, like, 50, 60 if they're trying yeah. to run, like, low threes or, you know, even 70. Yeah. Um, I was so adamant about getting to the start line without an injury. Yeah. That I knew, I, I peaked out. I think my highest mileage week was fifty-four miles, but I think I only went over fifty like twice. That's awesome. And there were plenty of weeks where I ran thirty-five, just because uh, we've talked about this a lot. But like when we, when Glenn's mom was very sick and right. when she passed away in September, like that was like really in the meat of my training. And there were just weeks where things just didn't happen, and I was fine with that. I just let life take. Yep. You know, you have to. Um, but but you're doing quality workouts. Yeah, but I don't do a ton of them. Like, I do one speed session and one long run with or without marathon pace miles a week. Like, I do not do more speed than that. So the really uh, positive thing about all that is that I'm really happy that I ran that 311 on that mileage. It proved to you that you can do it. Yeah, and that there's really so much more, like... I don't think that my body needs to run much more than 60 miles right. a week when I peak out or 65 maybe, but um, it just showed to me that like there's probably always going to be obstacles in your training cycle, but probably not as significant as the obstacles I had this this year and um, and just like juggling my third child. like Absolutely. Adding that third child to right. the mix was like, well, you have chaotic. three kids and you've got a husband that yeah. runs. So you're, you have to balance your timing around yeah. all of those things. And that's really hard to do if you're putting in hours and hours and hours and hours a week. So this gives you some hope that you can continue that. Yeah. So I'm excited to see like, eh, I don't know when, but like 
eventually I'll do it again and again and see what I can do. And I'm really adamant about not taking myself too seriously as a runner while also taking it serious enough that like I can hit big goals. That's, I think, the balance. Yes. And my balance when I am trying to run is not being weak, but also listening to my body. And there's a fine line in there that says I'm pushing myself too hard, whether I'm pregnant, whether I'm not pregnant, whatever. I don't need to run this hard. Or am I am I just keeping myself below because I don't want to be weak? Because I yeah. am weak because yeah. I don't want to work that hard, you know? And so finding that balance, that's probably everybody tries to find that balance. But I, I think I am prone to that, like, but mental. don't you think that pregnancy is a good excuse for that? 100% love yeah. it. You're like, I do, yeah. Why not? I'm pregnant. Like, I'm not going to do this that many times in my life. Absolutely. This most likely will be the last. So I'm good with that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite running workout? You asked us this question in the um, live podcast. Oh, um. Yeah, I I think that I like to I like mile repeats. Yeah, yeah, well, because those are so hard. They are so hard, but they're short enough. I, back in the day, like five or six years ago, I would probably like say, "Oh, those that workout terrifies me." But now that I've run distance for so long, I think, "Oh man, a mile is like short enough that like I can really like hang tough." And I honestly love doing speed workouts on the treadmill. Yeah, because there's just so much less thinking involved. I get that. Crank that sucker up and just go. And just roll with it. Yeah. Mile repeats are hard. They're really hard. Yeah. I know I'm not a fan, but they they do good work. Yeah. I prefer that. Those intimidate me way less than a seven mile tempo run. Okay. Fair. Meaning running multiple miles at seven. Oh, seven miles. Sorry. I heard seven minutes. Yeah. So yeah, say yeah, like yeah. I Sorry, w- yes. warm up a mile, do seven and then miles just go of tempo. Fast. Like, Yeah. Like, half marathon pace or half to full marathon pace yeah. at seven miles. Like, that intimidates me because of that, like, pain cave for the last three miles yes. kind of thing. I get that. Um, one of the things you and I talked about at one point, and Michelle, your last in a podcast guest, talked about oh, was... Oh, Michelle Carter. I loved it. Wearing makeup when oh, yeah. you work out. Yeah. And you and I have had that discussion before yeah. because I have definitely shown up to races with makeup on. Oh, and totally. I'm like, listen, I don't want to feel gross and sweaty and those pictures last forever. Yeah. And I'm not the girl that's going to, like, put on falsies or something like that for a race. But I might have waterproof mascara on. Oh, totally. Yeah. I used to never wear makeup for races, um, not because I was judgmental of people that did. I just, like, was like, oh. What's the point? Yeah, I was like, I put my makeup on after I shower. Yeah, right. Um, But I met Katie Edwards um, at Boston in 2014, and she was, like, all done up before Boston. And I was like, do you always wear makeup before races? She's like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm always, like, she's like, why not? Like, I like to feel, I look good. If I look good, I feel good. And so ever since then, I was like, why don't I wear makeup for races? And um, I'm a very, like, minimal makeup person anyway. So, like, what I would put on would basically be, like... Be pretty natural. Yeah, like, what I'm wearing right. out every day anyway. I had to get over the fact that people were going to judge me. Because yeah. the people do. Oh, yeah. Um, but mine was, I ran the Dances with Dirt 50K years ago and had a fundraiser gala the night before, which oh, I drank way I too much. That. I remember thinking, I cannot believe she's going to oh, do that. Oh, I woke up way late, was five miles late to the race. I remember this. And my friends Christy and Megan carried my bib with me. So they started at the start line, carried it, so it crossed the start lane, and then I had to add miles at the end because of that. Because you, you were like, I want to make I'm the going distance. to be an ultra marathoner yeah. today. But because I had no time, like I went to bed kind of drunk, yeah. and I woke up, I had full makeup on, yep. and my hair had been like done. 
So I had like hairspray in uh-huh. it. But those pictures are my favorite because I'm like really great. I look really good <laughs> running an ultra marathon because yeah. I have all this makeup on. And my the worst, however, was I was in like the wilderness, uh-huh. and I swear like horse flies were like yes. interested in the hairspray. The yeah, it. it was pretty gross. But ever since That's then, I was awesome. like, you know what? I may not look that made up but whatever it was those those photos look good my friend Leanne's the same way like she would go out and then like totally say I'm still gonna go do that but looking back now would you have been like oh I woke up late I'm not going uh probably yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was much like, more I'll, motivated back then I'll still get the 50k in yeah but like I'm just not gonna deal with this one because uh-huh. I remember when you did that I was thinking I would never be able to go out like that the night before and then I was I mean I don't know what I was thinking clearly it worked out okay it worked out, you did it and you looked good it took a whole lot of hours to get it done um okay so we only have like 10 more minutes yeah. and I have a lot of questions I want to ask okay. but I feel like we should get to the questions that you always ask okay. at the end okay so what's the one thing personally professionally that you'd like to do that you haven't done Okay, so uh, I even took notes on my phone. Okay, on good. These. I know. Uh, I think I want to start eventually a podcast network. Yeah. Start another podcast. Um, not necessarily. I do want to start another one with my voice behind it, but not with like me being the main host. Okay. But I would like to have like four shows. This is kind of what I want to do. I'd like to have like four shows underneath my network or whatever, and then um, kind of just be. That's the brand. The overseer, the brand. You can mm-hmm. help them get set up. And not sponsors. necessarily all on running or anything like that. Um, that was kind of like my dream big in 2017. Uh, anytime Glenn and I go on trips together or anything like that, we always like, he knows what gets me excited is talking about business stuff. Yeah. And so he brainstorms with me. And he's actually the one that thought of it. He was like, that's what, you know, if you're really serious, like that's what you should do. That's awesome. So like I, I would actually love to do one with like just Glenn and I. A podcast. That would be fun. Um, and then have a couple others underneath. So I'm actually kind of working on that a little bit, but I've been a little bit slow to progress. Yeah. I was like, go, go, go for a while, take a break. I'd like to run faster marathon times. And I love that for a while I was like, oh, you only have a certain amount of time to do that because once you hit a certain age, like. No. But you know what? I'm thinking a lot of people do maybe hit their prime in their early 30s or things like that. But you know what I've been doing in my early 30s is I've been having a lot of babies. Yeah. So I don't see why at 39 or 37 or even 41 I can't run fast times if I want to. I think women are proving that time and yeah. time again. Like Shalane. And yeah. I just saw Runner's World posted something today about a woman who was in her 50s who qualified for the Olympic trials. Yeah. It's like, I mean, there is something about running. You can still peak. Yeah much older than you peak at most sports. Especially if you weren't, like, doing those crazy things. You didn't demolish your body yes. at age 17. Well, and when I talked to Krista DeShane on this podcast, she ran her marathon PR, I think, at the age of 39. And she said, I said, did you feel like you could get faster once your kids weren't so young? And she said, well, actually, like, my youngest was two. And I thought about that because at first I was like, oh, really? Your youngest was still that young. But I was thinking if I was done having kids and my youngest kid was two, I could see myself running pretty fast then. Because even though two is still very young, you are out of baby, baby. Yes, baby, 100%. baby, baby. You know what I mean? So um, anyway, she she is very motivating in that sense. And um, I think you can do it yeah. easily. Yeah. So I'm excited to do all those things. And I don't know, professionally, yeah, I would, I mean, I've, I had a dream of this podcast becoming my job, which it, it has. I mean, my job is still being a full-time stay-at-home mom for the most part. 
Thankfully, I have a babysitter now twice a week, so I can't really claim that anymore. I'm part-time, part-time. Um, but I would love to see this grow and the network and things grow into it being a full-time be awesome. job. There's so much way. that goes into it, though. You yeah, know? for sure. What's the accomplishment you're most proud of? <laughs> Probably this podcast. Yeah. And then my kids, yeah. obviously. I mean, two very different. But also two really big ones. Yeah. Two very different. And two evolving ones. Yeah. And sometimes I hesitate to say, oh, this podcast, because I don't want it to feel like it's my life, but I feel a lot of uh, pride in creating something that that I'm passionate about. And honestly, um, I know it's not like Oprah's podcast. I know it's not getting like a million downloads or whatever, but when people send me messages or when I see a review that says like, like, literally, I've read reviews that say this podcast has changed my life. I'm like, what? This podcast awesome. has changed your life? Yeah. I mean, I get teary-eyed when I read stuff of like course. that. And when people send every single message someone sends me on Instagram, um, I try to respond to every single one of them. I should respond to every single one of them. Um, sometimes there's a kid crawling on me, and I'm like, I'm going to write that person back in a few minutes, and, and I forget. forget. Right. But it's so meaningful to me. Like, Chris Law tweeted, she just got this, she was one of my recent guests, she just got this huge tattoo on her side, and she tweeted that she was listening to my show and, and another show while she was getting that tattoo, and I'm just like, man, to think that, like, I'm, like, kind part of, of people's lives. When they're doing stuff like that. It's very cool. Or, like, people come up to me at races after a race that I, I don't even know, and they'll ask me, are you Lindsay? And they'll be like, I was just listening to your yeah. show, like, during this race, and I'm like, Oh my gosh. It's exactly I, what you wanted. I wasn't even thinking that I'm racing the same race as you and the fact that there are people on the course right. listening and that I'm experiencing the race with them, not only through the podcast, but like I'm on the course with you too. Yeah. That feels so cool. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. What, uh, if you were going to have coffee or a cocktail with one person, who would it be? Okay. So I have to have a fun answer, right? Because I always get, you always ask for fun answers. Yeah. I always ask for fun answers. Uh, I was going to say Oprah. But this was before her speech at Fair. the Golden Globes, which I loved her speech. It was amazing. But I was like, that's going to be like everybody's answer right now. Right. Um, and I do love Oprah. I feel like I could learn so much from her in like an hour's time. Absolutely. Um, but I'm going to say Connie Britton. Oh, I love her. Love her. I do too. Josh loves her from Friday Night Lights as well. Friday Night Lights and Nashville. And then Nashville. She's, she's, she's awesome. That's I, a fun one. Yeah, I just and you're I definitely love having her. a cocktail with her. Yes, I think yes. She, I think that she would be such a. I think, and it's one of those things where I think people say they don't want to pick a celebrity because they're like, oh, I'm not starstruck. Like, no, I'm not the kind of person on the street who would ask a celebrity for their autograph or anything like that. And I wouldn't want to fangirl her, but I think that she's the kind of person that I would just want to be friends with. Yeah, I think she's really cool. Yeah. What is one message you want to send to the world? So. I think that it would be, um, like, don't be complacent. Yeah. Don't be, not that we shouldn't be satisfied with our lives, but don't think that you have to do things a certain way and you have to do this day in and day out and that you can't change things and that you can't um, go for something that seems really hard or out of your comfort zone. I just, I think that sometimes it's easy to say, well, that's just the way things are. Like, right. that's just how it's going to be for me or I, you know, this is how my life is and it doesn't have to be like that. Right. I like that one. Uh, what are you loving right now? So I am loving, there's, um, this eye palette from beauty counter. It's oh, like yeah. the ocean Pacifica one. Ooh, yeah. I've seen that. 
And I was a little bit hesitant, like, is this going to be, like, um, dramatic enough? Is Are their colors going to be dark enough? And they're actually, like, really awesome. good. Yeah. Um, and then loving my heating pad. Okay, good. Not because I have aches or pains, but because it keeps me warm. Yep. So I have, like, a heat fan on me and my heating pad. Um, I've been using argon oil. Uh-huh. Do you use that? No, but I've heard of it. Yeah, I've been using, or no, wait, it's uh, rose hips. It has rose hips in it. I've heard of that. Yes, I heard some beauty person say it, and so I ordered it on Amazon. And, and you love it? I love it. Like, it makes my skin feel so soft. And then I love these, uh, the Lily Trotters compression socks. They've been a sponsor on the show before. Oh, yes, I've seen you post about this. I'm not saying that to plug them as a sponsor. I just really love them, and well, they're really cute. Even better, right? Yeah. Um, what is one nonprofit that you like to support? Um, so that, well, two nonprofits that we support on a monthly basis. And I, I think it's really important for everybody to find a nonprofit to not just give one time to, to, but, but to find something that they're like truly invested in on a monthly basis, because, well, first of all, if you're a small nonprofit, you can talk on the importance of that. You know, that one time ask is, is good. But like when people give monthly, it's like, you know, absolutely. They're relying on that. And not that our donations are big enough that they're like, Oh, they're going to lights on. Yeah. Um, but we, I have actually sponsored, um, a little girl through compassion, uh, international for 12 years. That's awesome. Yeah. I started doing it in college. So maybe 13 years by now I'm on, I'm on a, my second little girl now oh, though, that's because cool. yeah. one of them aged out. Um, and then we locally give to the poor house every month, which is a nonprofit here locally. Yep. Um, that supports people going through homelessness. I love that. Yeah, and they're really small, like grassroots. But I know the the founder, Andrea Demink, she's amazing. And I mean, they're like out there in the cold, not just like providing services to these people, but like doing life with these people. I mean, the the men on the streets. It's mostly men. It's some women. I mean, they would do anything for Andrea. That's wonderful. She's so incredible. I actually want, really want to have her on the podcast. You should. But they also like get, find housing for people and stuff like that when people are ready. That's awesome. To make that step. Um, last question and then my work calls down in two minutes. Okay. Um, no, it's fine. Um, best book or best TV show um, that you're watching right now? Well, we're reading a man named, a man called Ave. I can never pronounce his is name Is it right. Ove or Ave? I always say Ove, which I know is not right. I know. Um, I love that book. Yeah. Do you like it so far? Yeah, I really like it. And then I'm really into Shameless right now. Mm, my mom loves it. So yeah. it's amazing. I love that your mom's into it. I've only got like three more episodes. Yeah. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Awesome. All right. This has been really fun. You I hate to, that we have to like. I know you already dark. extended your call. I know. That's good. This yeah. was, we talked forever. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. So I'm going to go take this, but feel free to like hang okay. out, do your closing, whatever. Okay. okay. Well, that is going to wrap up episode 100 of the podcast. I hope that um, I didn't ramble on too much for you guys. And I hope that you enjoyed getting to know me a little bit more. Thank you so much, Maggie, for interviewing me and taking the time out of your day to be a part of this. And and thank you, Kind Snacks and Four Sigmatic, for supporting this episode of the podcast. You guys can go to kindsnacks.com slash Lindsay to get a sample box sent to you for free. You just have to pay shipping and you guys can go to foursigmatic.com slash another. Use the promo code another to get 15% off your order. 
And thank you guys so much for listening and being a part of this journey. I'm excited about the podcast for 2018 and what what it brings to the table. And I couldn't do this without each one of you listening every week. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful Friday. Have a great weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.